I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch presents the 2020 Halloween Spooktacular: Ash versus Evil Dead. Happy Halloween to you, and a, a, a festive spookery to you, sir. I was uh, taking a sip, yeah. Uh, a boo! <laughs> oh, 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 a boo to you, sir. Oh, oh, uh, a gentle boo. Yeah, well, I, it's to indicate that we're not actually ghosts. A, a gentleman's boo, if you will. Oh, yeah, no, a, gen- a gentle boo, like Casper was a real ghost. He was a real dead kid, Peter. <laughs> I mean, he was—he wasn't a real dead kid, but yeah. like he was a real dead kid in that comic. But do you think that he was capable of doing a low-key, polite, just like, "Hey, letting you know, I'm standing right behind you," kind of boo? Or do you think he only had, you know, screaming out in the in the maw of existence kind of boo? Have you never seen a Casper cartoon? I've seen the film with uh, Christina, Christina Ricci. Ricci. Yeah, but uh, did you ever see like the uh, old like uh, Peter Moran heartthrob? Oh yeah, no. She was uh, she was my uh, one of my first eleven uh, year old loves. <laughs> one of the things that you missed, I think, being uh, nine years removed from me, is a lot of the VHS era, and a big part of the VHS era was just like a bunch of random cartoon shorts collected onto <laughs> a VHS that was like twenty five minutes long that your parents would buy. I think and it eventually would be like, that became like the Cracker Barrel market where there were like $3 DVDs at Cracker Barrel and they were just like the best comedies of the 50s. And it's like one Ozzy and Harriet, one Honeymooners, one blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I remember getting like a Batman one and it had like and I like convinced my parents to buy it because it was like Batman uh, and more. And it was one episode of the 60s TV show Batman. And then like, yeah. Like an Ozzy and Harriet or something even. I was like, what? It's, it's you know, it's two hours because it's like over five hours of entertainment. <laughs> and it was like Batman and then uh, an episode of Mr. Ed, probably even like a knockoff Mr. Ed and like one episode of the Ed Sullivan show. It's like I've talked about this before, how like YouTube and streaming are uh, an insane boon to a child and probably are ruining these brains because I remember I remember watching an episode of Batman, the animated series and having to wait a full 24 hours for another episode and then being very mad at my mom because we had to run errands right after school because it meant I missed Batman. (laughs) Like, yeah, there was no like just plopping down in front of Amazon Prime and watching an entire like an entire uh, five episodes or five season arc of something yeah there's no there's no equivalent so yeah so i've seen casper cartoons in that i used to watch those would come up all the time in my life in various ways like random 50 of the greatest cartoon shorts of all time and it's like a popeye and a casper and a betty boop and stuff like that um so yeah, uh, yeah, no Casper, but Casper would like go behind people and be like, "Boo, sir," and then <laughs> all the people would go, Aah! and he'd go, "Oh, I'm just a friendly ghost," and then he'd do like that shy, like the shoulders back and forth that cartoon characters did in the '40s when they were shy or sexy or sexy. Yeah, or in this case, I think it was shy. bashful. 
yeah. There you go, bashful. Yeah, you can be. Yeah, you can be bashful sometimes when you're trying to be sexy. Yeah, I mean that's that's Betty Boop's whole deal, right? I don't know. <laughs> what is her deal? <laughs> is is that her deal? That she's a that she's a shy sex bot. That she's like she's like I'm a sexually active child. <laughs> I think she's supposed to be a full. Oh, she's lady. an adult, but she talks. She's an adult boots. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The voice. Yeah, is like it's creepy. Whoopsie doozy. Yeah, yeah. The 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 infantilizing sexuality of Betty Boop. It's uh, just it, it's demoralizing. That's all. Yeah. Uh, people, people. Although my entire interpretation and idea of Betty Boop has been completely warped by a certain comic that I think you and I are both reading. <laughs> yes, it's truly an epic saga. But, anyways, uh, Aaron, what, what what are we doing? Yeah, it's Spooktober, so we uh, it's Halloween. It's our special special epi where we do something that's a little bit more expansive than than we normally would. That specifically celebrates uh, something Halloweeny. Now, most months we end up picking something completely unrelated to whatever our theme was that month because it's you know it's hard to find something that kind of matches the criteria of an overlong <laughs> bore of an episode. Uh, if it if it if we have to narrow it down to the month, so uh, in in years past that has meant um, going through the first Resident Evil game and movie and George Romero script, and then a couple years ago it was David Gordon Green's Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, Halloween Two for some reason because we thought it was part of the continuity. It's not. Uh, it was a it was a fork in the road, right? One movie, yeah, it was, one way, one movie, one another. I had never seen it before we recorded. I'm glad I did. Um, and then last year we kind of just picked a the kind of the the big spooktacular part was that we were doing society with uh, many time guest Douglas Lamont. Uh, yeah, it was the idea of us doing a movie society, Brian Usner's society, which is a big enough like that feels big enough to hang a spooktacular around doing it with uh never had heard of it before a couple weeks before that uh, uh douglas uh Lamont, um was great yeah uh, so yeah. but yeah but this this year it is an easy easy choice we we are, have done all spooktober we've done evil dead month where we've covered the first uh there are the three evil dead movies starring ash as well as the remake from 2013 and that's not the that's not the only evil dead property though there is actually one that encompasses uh most of like if you had a pie chark pie, a pie chark uh, which is a pie chart about sharks. Um, if you had a pie chart, uh, it is crazy to think, Peter, that the vast majority of Evil Dead content has been what we're going to cover today, which is all three seasons of Ash versus the Evil Dead, the Stars series that aired from 2016 to 2018 and was um, something that like was... I don't want to say prophesized, but like the idea of more Evil Dead starring Bruce Campbell had been a theme that uh, nerdy internet people like myself had been trying to suss out details since I discovered these movies in like the late 90s because for, I mean, for almost like 
for 20 years, you had Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi and everyone else involved saying they want to make more. They want to do financing. They want to make an Evil Dead 4. Oh, as soon as Sam Raimi's done with Spider-Man, they're going to do one. Oh, now they did. They ended up doing the remake, but now they're going to do a sequel to the remake where you find out that Ash meets, um, meets the main character from that movie. And like every month there was some new internet rumor based on someone speaking at Comic-Con that they want to do this. And it's not because they were... Drag Me to Hell is in the middle. Just an asterisk. Drag Me to Hell is like a pseudo-Evil Dead movie. It even has Deadites in it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like... um, And none of it was ever like the rumor mill, like... um, it, it It wasn't one of those like insincere news sites like that would just like whatever that uh, comic book movie.com that just randomly makes up shit and is like, guess what? They're doing Die Hard 7. Yeah. Um, or they, they do the thing where they're like, this person's in talks to do this, which means like that yeah. actor was sent a script. No, and it's, it, but it wasn't that in this case. Almost all of the news that would come out is because it was true that every, every couple months or so, Sam Raimi or Bruce Campbell would get asked about an interview. Bruce Campbell was very active during this time. He wrote a bunch of books. He was being interviewed all the time. And of course, everyone asks, like, when are you going to do another Evil Dead? And, his answer was always some variation of what the update was at that moment, which was always changing over this long of a time span. And um, that, you know, he, he wanted to do it. Um, and that Sam wanted to do it. And Ted wanted to do it. Rob wanted to do it. So it really was like um, a little bit shocking when that actually happened. Like I, I subscribed to Stars for it in 2016 uh, because I was like it. It was surreal, the idea that we were going to get to see after a, what would it be, a 23-year absence, um, Ash, uh, or Bruce Campbell back in the role of Ash for Evil Dead. And with the the whole, like, original, well, not the whole original crew, but a bunch of the original crew, Rob Tapper. Uh, no, I, Sam, I, Sam I, no, Ivan Raimi was involved, Ted Raimi yeah. was involved, Rob Tapper, like, I... I think it is the whole crew to some, like... Yes, Ivan yeah. Raimi, uh, even though Ivan Raimi is largely a dentist, uh, even he came back to, to write and work on the show, like, uh, it, it's kind of like getting the whole the whole uh, old gang back together, and, um, yeah, I don't want to steal your steal your, your thunder no. here, but the, the show ran for three seasons, so I think we're probably going to break this episode into three chunks. Um, three chunks, we're going to talk about them as... Uh, like each season has a movie. We're not going to go episode by episode. We're going to do a brief rundown of what happens in that season and then talk about what we want to like we would any movie that we were covering. Um, the word divisive would be used for the show if it wasn't just entirely under underseen. It feels like because it was on stars, because it was buried there for a bit and then it just kind of got plopped on Netflix at some point, like um that like the i I don't think the horror community reacted to it in any particularly strong way like people got very very excited that the show was coming back and then when the show actually arrived like people didn't show up in numbers well let's talk about that a little bit so why was it on stars of all things it was on stars because it was the only um it was the only station at the time when they were t- trying to pitch this show and what they wanted to do that would allow them complete and total creative freedom not censor them in any capacity uh when it came to gore or violence or sex or anything else they wanted to do they wanted to 
have the license to be as uh, extreme for for good and ill as possible. And stars allowed them uh, to do that. And then it was also the only network within that that um, wouldn't make them make edited versions for other capacities. So uh, I'm assuming this wasn't a lot of them, but I think like IFC they were talking to and IFC is like, sure, you can make the show ever you want, but we might want to resyndicate that. And, and IFC is one of those channels that's like moving away from edgy uh, – unfiltered content to like we're kind of we sell commercials now and maybe we're just a, a cable station so like they i think they wanted to have like edited versions that could air at earlier times if they were going to go through with this so they they were um so so stars was the only one that was kind of in, both interested in buying their show and giving them what they asked for and like you said that that really was a double-edged sword people got excited for its premiere but like who the fuck subscribes to stars and this is like post stars's deal with disney expiring right like there was a time where you probably had stars and you didn't know it because uh uh stars had licensed all of disney's content when disney didn't see any point in creating their own streaming channel or making their own deals and then stars licensed all their content for a while to netflix so like if you were a subscriber of netflix from like the streaming from like 2008 to 2013, I think it was, you had you had everything that was stars, which is such a funny uh, thing to think about in retrospect that like Disney's like, it was like at a $10 million deal or something like that. And then stars is like, sure, I'll give them to Netflix. We don't have a streaming channel. Um, yeah, it's a funny time that like, I, I think stars is always people's like, uh, they're 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 bench warmers essentially. Um, yeah, but like they had they had the Disney license, they had it on Netflix. There was a while where like Stars actually was not just uh, not just uh, was was like I think from a movie standpoint the second best you could do after HBO. Uh, yes, yes, uh, and that time uh, kind of slipped away, and also like they are they're in the incredibly awkward position of having no content identity yeah um in an era where you know uh people are getting very brand loyal about streamers so like hbo uh, you know even they had some trouble transitioning to this hbo max product they have now and getting rid of hbo go in the past month or two um they 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 even had some trouble transferring to that and everybody knows what an hbo show is that brand is starting to get watered yeah. down a little bit. I feel like it gets watered down and then it gets some injection of like some shit. Like my wife watched Lovecraft County with me because I was like, well, it's an HBO show. And she's like, all right, well, it'll be at least be above this level of effort. And it's not going to be uh, 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 pointless and watered down. And like, <laughs> I feel like these days, actually, FX should probably carry that mantle more than HBO. But that's that's kind of a topic for a different day. But but there, but you're right, though, though, like there's actually like I think even a Netflix show, most people understand what a Netflix or a Hulu or an Amazon Prime show is. What is weird is that like the stars and the showtimes and the Cinemaxes, those channels that like when HBO was starting to do their original content before streaming services were a thing, they always kept trying to create their own identity and like have at best had like your HBO with generally worse shows on average. Um, yeah. And, and, and I just like at, the, at this point, it almost feels like 
uh, all those movie channels just combined because like you who is who is going out of their way to subscribe to Cinemax at this point in their life. But anyway, yeah, uh, and also like it did like if you go to stars.com right now, yeah. you go to their front page, they are promoting the third thing they're promoting is Party Down, which is a show that they ran for two seasons. It's a great show. They ran for two seasons and then they canceled nine years ago. And was that on second, Stars? I thought that was on IFC originally. Party Down was a star show. Oh, okay. Um, and then uh, obviously they have Outlander, which is like, I guess, their only real breakthrough hit that like people actually talk about. Yeah, my, my mother-in-law subscribes to Stars for <laughs> Outlander. All right. What else we got on the front page? Uh, uh, Luther, which is a BBC show. Uh, Sanford and Son. Um, <laughs> I think I'm. What I'm I mean, really what do you have against Sanford and Son? Great theme song. Uh, I just don't think bum, it's a bum, Stars bum, original. Bum, uh, <laughs> uh, American Gods, a show that they worked uh, as hard as they, they kept firing. Butcher. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So the point. <laughs> the here, most fireable uh, <laughs> TV creator in all of in all of the TV land. Brian Fuller worked on the first season of that. God, he is so. But yes, Brian. You know, Brian. Fuller Does is, he punch uh, is, is people? Walk, like, no, he's just walk away prone. Like he, he's just he's like a he's like a, a Robert De Niro in Heat. Like he's he always has his go bag ready. You're gonna meet me. Like as soon as he gets disrespected, Brian Fuller's like, I am fucking out of here, and he does it. He he did it in Star Trek. He almost did it on Hannibal. He did it on uh, obviously that guy on loves American to Gods. quit TV. Almost as much as uh, TV stations love to cancel his shows. Yeah, yeah. So the point here is, Stars has zero identity, no, zero identity, and, and they also are are kind of like known for having no shows, and then certain shows of theirs start to pick up a cult, pick up a little bit of like cultural, uh, you know, notoriety, and then the next news you hear is Stars has canceled Party Down. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big ass. So first of all, it, it comes out in twenty sixteen. A lot of people don't have basic cable. Like, I cut my basic cable in 2019. A lot of people were there before. And a lot of the type of people that would be obsessed about an Evil Dead movie may get most of their stuff from streaming. So, that's strike one. Strike two, it's 20 bucks a month. And it was a 10-episode season that went over, you know, all in like four months. So, to, to say you're going to pay $80 to effectively watch 10 episodes of television is a really big ask. Um at best, you're probably going to buy it on Amazon episode by episode, like the day after it comes out. But that's also an ask, too, to remember to buy it. Remember it's there. Like, it's not appointment television at that at that point, um, which is a strike against it. But but even even through that, um, you know, the first the, – they like the pilot so much that it gets a second season pickup – the day before the pilot airs on on TV. So already, I know as a fan, not having seen it, the show, I was psyched. Like, we are already getting two seasons of this show. That that feels great. Um, and then I think uh, before the second season started, uh, the first season did have pretty good ratings for stars. You're talking about uh, uh, 750,000 viewers by the date it airs. So they pick it up for a third season before the second season comes out. And at that point, Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, Rob Tabbert start putting, I think, a five-season arc together of where they want the story to, to ultimately go. Um, so the third season premieres. They don't have a four-season pickup. Uh, the third season goes um, – 
from I think like seven hundred thousand viewers in the first episode to a hundred and fifty by the fifth. Like it, the the audience just falls completely apart, even for a stars audience, which isn't that big to begin with. And also, they're not counting streaming. Um, and so they canceled after the third season. And no, third they season. just count streaming as cash. They're just like, I guess this yeah. might offset part of the budget, but usually that, that's, that's yeah, because they because they sell their rights to streaming providers, so they don't they don't think of it from that yeah that's, from that perception. That's, that's and not, I want to get I want to get back. That's, to, that's not the metric. <laughs> no, and I want to get back to that in just a sec because um, they they don't cancel it though until the week before the finale airs. So. You know, we'll we'll talk about this, but they make their third season on the on the assumption they'll get another pickup. It's not that expensive of a show to produce, and like, you know, it's 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 a recognizable character, beloved by people. Um, and yeah, they don't announce the cancellation until until the last episode airs. So the last episode is not a it, it's not even one of those things where it is. Um, a finale in the sense that like hey we don't know if we're getting picked up this needs to double as a series or a season finale it is a finale that uh, does what a good television show should do in in this era which is wrap up the season arc and tease you into what excitement is to come for the following season and it does that in a huge way Um, there was a fan campaign to bring back it uh, it failed uh, and uh, Bruce Campbell said that he was he thanked all everyone trying to keep it going, but he was retiring the character um, and it wasn't getting picked up anywhere else that he will never be play Ash again now. And also forward. people are, get really mad anytime that they talk about recasting Ash or replacing Ash. Even, Understandably. Even Bruce Campbell is and, and Bruce Campbell is like. Just do another thing in the universe, right? It, that was we talked about that yeah. in the Evil Dead remake episode. Like, he, yeah, he's him, also protecting him. Too. Up he's like, spurs, don't him yeah. hanging up the, the chainsaw. That means Ash is dead until those guys com- completely uncouple themselves from the franchise. Well, which probably means one of them dies. But the but the asterisk to all this is that a I think it was extremely just as a creator. It was extremely frustrating to have the show canceled the way it was. And part of the anger actually came from the part that no one's talking about. The reason why Ash actually was a hit on Netflix. The seasons would go to Netflix after they were over. Huge hit. People were watching them. It actually helped make the ratings between season one and season two of Ash vs. the Evil Dead go up. Uh, and season three started off strong as well because people were consuming them so much on Netflix and one thing that a lot of the creators and and people on the show say is that at the time when they were pitching like Netflix wasn't as big of a deal they 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 kind of were like we should have pushed harder to go to a Hulu or a Netflix or someone that would let our content just sit there because that is a different metric than than uh, you know, both in a, the amount of freedom that we get, um, which most of those channels or the streaming services would allow, but also we're not stuck having to compete for like an like an audience that very specifically is not tuning into stars. Like the audience for our show is not watching it stars. So we we were getting tons of streams on Netflix, but stars doesn't care about that. So there was a campaign for Netflix to pick it up. I think all the stuff is still streaming 
on on Netflix. And I know um, the the other two act, main actors on the show, um, Dana DiLorenzo and Ray Santiago, just recently, as of an interview a month ago, said that they still are hoping that they get to do a season four. They think that if someone were to pick it up. Um, and and go back and do it that they would have zero problem convincing Bruce Campbell to come back and play Ash, uh, which kind of matches the tone I got from the whole thing, which is like, is Bruce Campbell going, you know what? Stop tweeting at me <laughs> like to bring the show back. It's not it like we tried to we tried to find another network. They did try to find another network. Right. And when that didn't happen. I think it makes sense for him to just go, you know what? I'm 64 years old. Like, I'm going to retire the character. Man, if you can walk out of this this kind of role with dignity and have like a badass sort of exunt uh, for your character, like they give to Ash at the end of season three, like at a certain point, like, do you want to go back and risk doing the thing that like William Shatner did as Kirk um, and then make fans mad that that's how Kirk went out? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's so tough. I will say, like, either way, I'm fine, right? Like, we have enough Evil Dead content. I will say, which we'll get to, the tease for what a season four could have been is actually the the most I was interested in where the show could go. Like, I I don't know if it would have been good or not, but I was like, fuck! Like, <laughs> if, if the show had ended at season two, I, I wouldn't have felt the same way. I love season two. I think season two is great. But season two ends very triumphantly, and there's a little tease that, like, oh, wait, maybe the villain is still around. Um, and, but season three ends with just a... Oh, the entire paradigm has changed. Like, I don't. I don't know what season four would be. I. I, I genuinely. I, I. don't know what it would be in the sense that um, it would involve Pablo Kelly. Like I. I, I don't know when his daughter. Yeah. So we'll get. There. Yeah. Let's. I, I, let's just do a quick generalities of how we feel about the show, Peter, before mm-hmm. we get into the season by season drill down. Yeah. So. I, I, so I watched the first season when it aired. I watched it on Stars. I really, really loved it. Um, and then when it came back around for its second season, it just sort of was something that added to my list. Because I do think the, the first season works as like a, almost a complete story. And it was good, but not spectacular. Uh, and, like part of the good part for me was seeing Bruce Campbell back as Ash, and I felt like I got that. So I, I don't, I don't mean to sound down on it, but it was just one of the things where, um, I guess Arrested Development is probably a good, uh, a good comparison. Like when Arrested Development season four came up, I stayed up till two a.m. when it dropped on Netflix. I watched like the first four episodes as long as I could stay awake. Um, I was like, you know. And I really – like, I did like season four. I watched it twice. I watched the re-edit. I liked it. When I heard that season five was coming out, though, I was a little more like, eh, okay. Like, it's it's that old axiom that, like, the excitement is based on what you're following. 
So, like, for Ash vs. the Evil Dead Season 1, it was following Army of Darkness, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, which is following Evil Dead 2, which is one of the best horror movies of all time. Of course I'm looking forward to see the next thing. I, I'm going to burn down anything I can to get to it. I'm going to subscribe to Stars, Peter. The craziest <laughs> thing you can do. And then, you know, Ash vs. the Evil Dead is, is good. It's not Army of Darkness Evil Dead good. So my excitement was somewhat tempered. It was the same thing with the rest of development, right? It was I was coming off of, you know, ten years and season three, which was fantastic, as was season one and two. You know, I'm so excited. Uh but season four, when you look at it in the rearview mirror, like you're less excited for season five. So uh one of the reasons I was excited to do this episode is that I hadn't ever watch season two and season three um which i'm very glad that i did season two i think is fantastic i think the back half of season three is really great um but but i think this has a problem as a whole and i don't want this to sound insulting to anyone but they did get this whole gang back together the whole gang uh to to come up with the plots and to write most when you see the writing credits on half the episodes, it's names you know. I think that a lot of the people involved are better at writing movies than episodic week to week television. Um, because I do feel like not only is there so many kind of uh, out of the box. TV plots that they they put in there, and I'll get into some of them on the on the seasons that they do it. But they also don't find anything all that interesting in it. Like season one, such a great example. Like we're already in the tripping on weird drugs uh, for an entire episode, while Ash finds his meeting by episode four, and it's like, man, that's like that's what happens in like a season seven supernatural episode, and you're like, oh, they are out of ideas. Um, and I, I, there's just too much of those like sit or not sitcom, but like uh, adventure action or horror show tropes uh, that I don't feel like they do anything interesting with uh, throughout the series and kind of continue to hang their hat on. Well, it's Bruce Campbell as Ash and that's great. And that is great. There is a difference between 80 minutes of, of hanging your hat on that with a little bit of a more condensed script and a, you know, just one plot that you have to get over and then stretching that out for 15 hours or five hours a season. And so I think what you end up happening for most of these seasons, with the exception of season two, which I actually is the one is the one season where I feel like they cracked how to actually um make a full compelling season of television that has changes uh, midway through and keeps you interested while not like throwing stuff away because you ran out of ideas or throwing stuff in because you ran out of ideas. But I think especially in season one and season three, what you end up having is a good intro and then some very meandering middle episodes while you get to a really good like episode 7 through 10 or 8 through 10 where they just basically make an evil dead movie around one plot. I'm so, with you. I think yeah. each season would have benefited from actually being 6 to 8 episodes, which mind you, what what I'm saying here is that the show, which is a, a very modest length, it, they're 30-minute episodes. 10 episode seasons. I think you could be even more modest 
and uh, uh, have a, a more uh, of an impact. Like when I finished watching the show the first time, I was like, I don't know if I'll ever rewatch it again. And then I started watching it for this this show. Uh, I was like, oh, this is really comforting. Like I'm sinking into yeah. this, like an old armchair. Like I'm sinking into it. But it does have the problem that certain, like you, you mentioned, supernatural, like certain yeah. um, certain TV shows have, where you're like. The efficiency of uh, the economy of uh, of moments is not there the way that it is in uh, our our favorite Evil Dead works, right? Like, yeah, um, even the even the remake, which is a lo- the longest, I think the longest Evil Dead movie by like a significant portion. Um, the remake is still jam packed, and it's time, still ninety minutes. minutes. It is the longest by. Yeah. But uh, but but it's because the other three are under ninety minutes. Yes, and, and uh, I think the show does a really great job at when it finally gets to the climax. The pacing is excellent. It takes oh moment. yeah, it, it takes it when it finally gets to the climax. The pacing is excellent. Like it, it takes moments for comedy. It takes a moment for you to breathe and catch up on the plot. It takes a moment for you to process kind of where Ash's head is at, like dramatically. Like I think it perfectly balances what makes Evil Dead movies great. Uh, and. and in the latter half but the first half of most of the seasons especially season one feels a lot like they are setting up any sort of supernatural kind of uh you know hokey uh, i i use supernatural lowercase also supernatural the show supernatural uh, yeah or, or grim or whatever like they're set it, it, it's written by funny comedy writers uh it's written by people who know who know what they're doing but um the plot it is not there in the way no. that, like, that you expect uh a a propulsive action horror movie to be where like yeah. you expect action horror movies to be like 90 minutes or less don't fuck around with me make Make me laugh, make me grossed out, and let's get the hell out of here. Evil Dead 2, as we discussed in Evil Dead 2 episode, my brother said, like, you know, Evil Dead 2 is sort of like a bait and switch. Like, it's going to promise you what horror movies are going to be, and then you watch it, and then you keep watching horror movies. And, like, horror movies are great, but, like, none of them. They're not Evil Dead 2. They're no, none of them are Evil Dead 2. Yeah. Or none of, and no horror comedies are Army of Darkness, where you're just like, oh, so you spent weeks making skeleton puppets of all varieties. <laughs> yeah. Like, like okay, yeah. got it. Like, nobody is operating on that scale. And I think that that's sort of, like, you're, you're, you, you, you nailed the, pit, the nail on the head. I keep saying it. But, like, Supernatural, Grim, like, those kind of shows have this sort of, like, we'll get there when we get there energy, which is absolutely not what i fucking want out of out of a show like this and the the thing that drags me through is that i think the characters are extremely charming yes. i don't really know how they found two other leads and then in season three uh, a third that can carry the weight of a show up against the yep. absolute powerhouse that is bruce campbell that he can do horrifically yep. offensive things and then you still root for him he can be very funny but you're still scared for him like that, that he could do all this shit and then you're still on his team but like watering that down with the sort of like like getting all the pieces in place stuff yeah. it, it doesn't serve anyone well yeah and i i do think it does it for seasons one and three it feels like they figured out where they wanted to be at the end or the back half or you know episodes eight through nine and then really just were like okay we'll just throw out stuff for how how we're gonna get there and the problem with that is that 
when when this show feels long in the tooth, and it shouldn't feel long in the tooth when there's thirty episodes, right? Like we, 30, Supernatural, 30 Grimm, X Files, those type of episodes. Like not only were they hour long shows, but they had to do twenty six episodes a season. Like it, it feels like from people that didn't write for TV. Um, but watched a lot of TV. And I know that's not entirely fair because even some of these people worked on Hercules and Xena. But, like, those shows had good followings. But I I don't know how to say this without offending potential fans. I, I don't think those shows were good. They were charming. <laughs> they were charming. I, I can never take that away from them. But they were – there's a reason why people freaked out about Buffy. And that was because Buffy managed to take, like – that sort of uh, the, 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 the genre lurid sort of stuff that we were all hungry for. We wanted to see like a badass lady chop off an ogre's head or whatever. Um, but we also want it to be like grounded the way that and, and dramatic in the way that like good, good. Uh, I'm not even going to say good film. The way British TV was at the sa- that same era. Like there's a reason people fell in love with Buffy and why like you don't hear about people so much like. I'm going to go back and watch watch Xena. Like Xena gets respected at a at a distance. Um, yeah, and like I you think. liked Lucy Lawless as the character. And there's plenty of shows I like. She's I watch Lois. I watch Lois and Clark the New Adventures of Superman. Like it's it's a show that was great to see Superman on TV when I was 10, but like it wasn't good, well-written compelling <laughs> television. Like it's scratched and, and I, in an era where we didn't have Yeah. We didn't have a a just a endless flood of satisfying genre work yeah. to deal with. Like we live in the yeah. Marvel universe. We live in a universe where Shudder exists, where it's just like every night you can log on and watch a new amazing horror movie. Uh, we we live yeah. in a universe where you can go and like uh, like go get an ebook for two dollars of like any fantasy book you want. Like all of this, all of this genre stuff is just mm-hmm. like thrown in your face very cheaply and very easily and like we don't need we don't need to settle anymore we actually i'm cutting out shit that's i'm cutting out four out of five shows right now that's that's how it how it's working yeah and it's also worth noting that like television is a younger medium than film uh and like how tv seasons specifically are structured have gotten better um, since the days of Hercules and and Xena shows that very specifically probably even if the creators wanted to do something that was a little bit more um, it, it sophisticated it was a syndicated show that needed to tell a complete story every every episode and that's ultimately like be part of the reason why we've seen you know a couple of uh, golden ages of television as you were um, is because Television has always been ruled a little bit more than film by uh, needing to sell ads, people's inability to rewatch it ever, and a bunch of other things for like basically its existence from, I don't know, 1955 until 2000. And then even like from 2000 to, you know, 2010, you had a lot. So, you know, the, the writing and the way that TV seasons are structured has advanced quite a lit a lot in the last 20 years um <laughs> can i jump it, in really quickly yeah. um i was following along with kumail nanjiani for a little bit when he did uh x files files oh yeah and eventually i gave up and he did he didn't even make it to season five of the show he eventually was like 
<laughs> I think around 2016, he stopped at the end of uh, of season four. Like the the they used to serve us up so much TV and so much of it was garbage. <laughs> and, well, and, X- and, and that's why X Files yeah. is fun because like X Files, you can be like, all right seasons are like 20 something episodes what you really need to do is yeah. watch these five watch and these. you're gonna have a great time and even then x-files is one of the shows that like helped to propel storytelling on tv forward along with stuff like exactly Twi- twin peaks and um hill street blues and like these shows that literally weren't weren't just making good um television but but actively like propelling the the format forward so now when you watch x-files it does get a little frustrating where it's like okay like if this was nowadays tv um you know uh scully believes in aliens by midway through season two and then it has to pivot on that new paradigm um as opposed yes, to exactly like, still- like X-Files yeah. is one of the good ones and it still drags like hell if you're not watching like a hot. Well, it just has too many of those like y- you have to believe Scully's an idiot because you don't because the creators for a variety of reasons couldn't shake up the status quo as much as they may have wanted or not wanted to. Right. And that that's that's the problem of so many of those shows where now you have shows even like non-prestige television, like Vampire Diaries, who like, you know, moves through plot lines like uh, fucking uh, Runaway Train. <laughs> and like every episode, the paradigm is shifting and it's like, holy shit. So when you see something like this, that's like feels like we're going to produce filler television and then we're going to go out with a bang. It does feel a little bit archaic. And then the other part of that, which I want to get to the last general thoughts before we, we go to the seasons, is what they hang their hat on when they don't have a worthwhile plot. Um, and actually, I'm going to do a little asterisk there. I actually think this show would have been better if they would have actually done what, um, say, the new Star Trek does or – or even like X-Files did in some respects was this this show feels like it should be a season long arc broken up by monster of the week episodes and it kind of does that in that sometimes there's different like monsters to fight but there's those monsters are still related to an overall plot that they don't have enough enough material to do 10 episodes on and so i actually think if they would have done the classic you have plot episodes and you have monster of the week episodes. It would have made for a little bit of a more, um, a little bit more of a compelling, compelling show. But anyways, uh, can I park there real quick? Yeah. Yeah. Park we move on? There's yeah. a show called stand against evil that had the unfortunate distinction of coming out right around the time Ash vs. evil Ted did. Um, I think they got a more similar th- title and it got similar. more seasons though. I think, uh, they, yeah, I think they had three or four. They had three or four. They were either nose to nose or exceeded it. Oh. Um, and uh, Standing Against Evil, not a great show, but, you know, it's one of those shows that's like, I love Dana Gould. And oh, yeah. It's so, season three. It's, and so I love Dana Gould, and so I watched it, and, like, I like monster shows. It's short as shit. Like, you can watch the whole season in, like, two and a half hours, right? Um, yeah. it, it, the, um, but the point here is that a very similar show came out at, at, around Ash vs. Evil Dead, and it kind of acted as a contrast for me, because... That show was basically Monster of the Week, and then usually the last third of the season would be Big Plot. 
And like while Stand Against Evil was a worse show, um, yeah. and it also like had a very similar dynamic where the show is like both making fun of and is empathetic for its lead character who's like hor- horrifically offensive and stuck in the past. Because mm-hmm. um, like Stan from Stand Against Evil is like uh, says horrifically racist shit all the time, and Ash is like a misogynist from 1970. Um, and uh, it, but that I feel like Stand Against Evil kind of figured it out where it's like. Give us a, an excited, inciting incident. Give us a, a bunch of crazy, you know, monster of the week things. And then spend about three episodes telling us the final arc that like, you know, sort of a three part episode to end the season and then move on to the next thing. Right. Change the change the yeah. paradigm, change the rules and then move on to like a new season um, uh, there. And I feel like Ash vs. Evil Dead, if they were struggling to figure out what to do between, you know, episodes two in episode six, they could have just thrown in more of the Monster of the Week episodes. And the Monster of the Week episodes in the show are usually pretty fucking funny. Like, yeah, or pretty, are pretty good. Like there's a demon. There's a demon in season one. That's really great that, uh, that, they, that they fight. And I was like, oh, the show's going to be like this. And then the show doesn't do it again. For the well, rest uh, yeah. Of well, one. not only that, they bring instead of doing a new monster that's interesting, they bring back that one in an uninteresting way. Like, oh, I guess he, we didn't actually defeat him. But, yeah, like, I like the um, – we'll talk about season one, the where they're at the army – or the militia base. Like, I like that episode quite a bit. And that's the – that's, like, what they should have done more of when they didn't have a plot. And instead, here's my other point, is they are like, well, if we don't have a story to tell, here's what we're going to get by on. Bruce Campbell charm. And I think that is generally a – good rule to follow but it has sometimes the problem that i think a lot of us bruce campbell fans had when we're like we saw evil dead 2 and army of darkness and like thought that bruce campbell was someone who was i don't know like magnetic in any capacity under any circumstances and like if he's in a movie just watching bruce campbell is worth it and then you start renting things like mind warp and assault on dome four and you uh watch uh jack of all trades and you're like i forget he's in me he's the lead of maniac cop and i forget that yeah and but you are kind of like oh no like Bruce Campbell is great with the right material, but he's like any actor. Like, Robert De Niro is one of the, maybe the best actor of all time. Like, if you watch Meet the Fockers, you, you aren't like, this is a magician. Like, <laughs> you know. And, and so, why I think that's a problem is one of my least favorite aspects of this show. Maybe my least overall. And I just – I don't know how to feel about it. Peter, you nailed it really, really well at the beginning of this this month where it's important to – where you said I think it's important to note that the Ash from all of these movies is a different Ash. Like every one of his incarnations is a little bit different. But I still feel – I still see the arc from Evil Dead to Army of Darkness. Like it's a very clear arc of, uh, uh, you know – Someone comes with his girlfriend, his sister, and a couple friends to a cabin. Um, he's not a superhero. He's not fully competent. He is. Um, and then by the time he gets to Army of Darkness, he's just pissed off and done with the whole thing because he's just had to deal with, like, essentially 24 hours of nonstop murder and assault. Yes. And that's when we meet him in Army of Darkness, which we talked about at length. And 
but and like he, he like we talked about this uh last week like it feels like that part where he kisses M. Beth David and says, give me some sugar, which is both a, a funny way for the filmmakers to cut out the development of romance and someone who's like at the end of his rope and just like, you know what? Uh, I would like to kiss a cute person right now. Um, I think like I said, I said an army of darkness, it feels like fans sometimes of Ash took that one moment and made it that was his entire character is this like misogynistic Lothario who only cared about getting laid, which is just as a reminder of just having watched all these movies is not his character at all. And so and so with Ash versus Evil Dead, it we'll feels like there. the fuck. Yeah, it feels like the, the fucking creators of the show were like, yeah, if you boil down Ash jay williams to one thing it's basically that he wants to fuck all the time and it's like oh i i just like i get like i kind of like one one thing that redeems some of the worst moments of this is that is the last episode which we'll talk about where he is like confronted with having to face the the final ultimate evil that he's been prophesied to defeat and he like the the mask comes off and he's like i'm a fucking idiot from Detroit. I sh- I have been acting like I know what I'm doing and I'm this cool guy and like that's how I've gotten through the last 30 years or whatever it is but like I suck. Um but I like they really decided that was his character and I'm I'm not sure why like that again he he's great at one-liners but when you think of the one-liners from Army of Darkness and 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 Evil Dead 2 it's not about like it's not racist misogynist shit. And so like the fact that they decided maybe it's just like, Hey, he's been through a lot. And now he's this sad, uh, out, out of a fossil who doesn't care what he says and likes to get drunk and fuck. Sure. But man, they made it like 90% of his character. And, and sometimes it's funny. And sometimes it's like, what the fuck is this? Like, why, why do you think this is the Ash that everyone loved so much? I mean, the opening of the first episode is him getting drunk and fucking someone in a bathroom while spanking them really hard. And it's like, this, this is not, this is not anything from what, like this, this is not our like, Ash is back, baby. He's not Duke Nukem. Like, I don't, I don't quite understand. And so, hold on, hold on to, to let's, hold on, hold on to tie this off. Yeah. Yeah. To tie this off. Why I think the, those kind of filler episodes suffer is they hang their hat on an Ash Williams that, that isn't funny because he's under threat. It's like a sitting around Ash Williams because they don't have good plot. And sitting around Ash Williams is like a racist misogynist to the T or to the nth degree or whatever else. And so not only do you have all these episodes where they're like, yeah, we don't know how to structure a television show. So we're just going to have Bruce Campbell do shit for a few episodes and then we'll get to the good stuff. The Bruce Campbell do shit is like to be shitty. And I don't – so I think that's also the problem. Like, Xena, you may go, well, sure, it's not a good episode, but it's Xena being Xena. I love Xena. This is like, what if what if Xena is like a bigot? I, I don't know if that's as fun all of a sudden. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, so that's that's also I think I think those are the two major problems with the show, and I think they kind of they cross in the night in that when because they're not good at structuring a television show for the most part or like a season of television, they rely on just Bruce Campbell being Ash. But then the problem with that is is that the Ash that they've created for this show is a, is is like the kind of friend that you're stuck with that you roll your eyes at and you wonder how you can cut them out of the friend group. So that's a lot, but those are my big problems with the show. What I think we should do is we should talk about season one, talk about the reintroduction of Ash Williams 20 years later. And uh, see see how we how we land there. Um, yeah, you want to sure. talk about Ash versus Evil Dead? Yes. So <clears throat> we see Ash 20 something years later. Uh, he is a uh, fuck up. He is living uh, in his trailer dragged behind his uh, his old his old car. His old American Delta? car. The old the old Chevy Delta. This baby's made in Livonia, Michigan. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good line. Um, yeah. He's working at a convenience store uh, and it has taken on uh, a, a sort of sad, sobering uh, a view now that like we get to see it not inside of his like fantasy, like the end of Army of Darkness. Like he's just kind of a, he's kind of the guy at work that's like a fuck up, but not enough of a fuck up where, where he'll get fired. Um, well, that seems he's been fired a lot. Hold on. Do you this is this could potentially derail us. I don't see the end of Army of Darkness as a fantasy. Do you? I don't know. It, it, it's Ash telling the story to someone. Uh, but he does. There is a deadite and he kills it. But I, I do think at this point, yeah. But he, he it is 30 years later. But I guess, I guess the whole thing with this. Now, much like all Evil Dead, this rewrites parts of the mythology, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not going to be like a, a cannon feed, but. There's nothing more Evil Dead than rewriting the mythology. <laughs> Yeah, people can't even agree if Evil Dead Two is a sequel or a remake. I think it's very easy to explain. We talked about it, but we'll we'll leave that up to the the listener. Uh, the uh, well, no, well, I I do think though that they because they make it clear that he never fought Deadites after he came back from the Middle Ages. Like it's not till he, which you'll talk about. Uh, smokes too much weed and wants to read dirty poetry that he reads from the book again and then uh, encounters the Deadites for the first time in 30 years. And and, and it, it, that's kind of the thing is uh, Ash is full of shit. Um, he yeah. is uh, he's sort of gotten stuck in a state of arrest development. Uh, he He's unable to get his shit together. Um, he's just kind of chasing hedonism and trying to forget uh, all the horrific things that he's seen. Um, and then his life was derailed by evil. Um, but he's also, uh, purposefully, you know, engaging in self-destructive stuff, like lots of, uh, cheap sex and lots of drinking and driving and doing drugs, whatever drugs he can get his hands on, right? Like he's pretty self-destructive. Um, and he's not taking care of himself. And there's even a moment where he's trying to show someone uh, the Book of the Dead. And he and the, the girl start reading it. And then she becomes a zombie and he kills her or whatever. And he, like, forgets that this happens because his yeah. life is that much of a fucking mess. So Ash unleashes Evil Dead. 
Ash uh, reopens the the sort of portal uh, into our world, uh, you know, 30, 20, 20 something, 30 years later. Um, And uh, yeah, so Ash uh, is working at the convenience store with uh, Kelly. Uh, who despises him because uh, he is a uh, old, creepy misogynist who hits on her at work. And uh, Pablo, who both looks up to him as sort of like a masculine like figure, but also finds him kind of like a grown worthy father figure. Right. Like he likes that Ash is offering him an adventure. But uh, Pablo also wants like similar to Kelly later on in the show. Pablo's like, yeah, Ash, that's not how we talk. Um, Yeah. um, So they're both kind of like his younger, more more woke uh, uh, perspectives in the show. Uh, Pablo's in love with Kelly. Kelly will be in love with Pablo at some point um the show doesn't really get a chance to fully fully consummate that um in the three seasons but whatever it does at the end I, I, we'll, we'll, let's devote a little time to that because uh that is a really example of lazy tv tropes they throw in without any seemingly good reason and it's um it's the worst one like the uh the friend zone dude who knows that uh that actually doesn't really want to be friends with the person he just wants to date her and kind of tries to convince her of that for a long time and then finally wins at the end it's actually the be- one of the smartest things that Brooklyn 99 did was they had that plot with uh who uh, Char- Joe- Charles and um uh, not Charles and Gina Charles and uh, Rosa yeah, and the first season, and everyone's like, "That sucks, dude." And they're like, "Oh no, yeah, no, it sucks." And then We're he done becomes a, a consummate like uh, a, a hype man for her and her roman- romantic relationships yeah. going forward. Like, like he like, actually, oh, Nick Cannon, he actually, you. yeah, he actually started being the friend that he always said he was going to be. This, but I mean, this is just one of many of the like we we are just going to build a show around Ash and then some ideas we have with the horror and like, what do we do with the other characters? And they almost always find the most eye rolling, laziest shit that just been, that are, it's just like just common TV tropes. Oh, the, the guy that pines for the girl who she just wants to, she, she's made it very clear many times that she just sees him as a brother and a friend. And he, uh, won't accept it. <laughs> and that's charming. Like, but, but, uh, the show, I think the show, fixes i don't think the problem is grown worthy literally after like two episodes i think i think the show fixes the issue pretty quickly um kind of but they do end up together at the very end which is fine like which is fine because they both kind of they both kind of move off in their own their own um directions and then pablo at a certain point does accept it he he accepts the friendship as a thing like it's not kind of grown worthy it's a grown worthy thing that also becomes buried because it is it is uh the 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 actual charm of the two actors performing yeah the two the two actors are great you think you think that they are they'll be a good couple like so it ends up just being like a will they won't they thing as opposed to mm. a friend zone thing i think within two or three episodes uh, i'm gonna put a pin in that because i really hate the beginning of season three for the reason that it brings it up and he is like pissed at her for having a, a boyfriend yeah yeah that's but also dude. but okay. also it's about her running off and and uh fighting evil as opposed to We'll get to it. Yeah, it's, we'll it's get also about her running off and fighting evil as opposed to, like, just returning to the normal world. Anyways. 
So yeah, we're gonna uh, try really hard just to pretend we're only talking about season one. See, so uh, uh, Ash, Kelly, Pablo, the, they get set off on their journey because Pablo has this sort of fate to become this like brujo, this sort of magical figure, sort of a witch doctor, sort of a channel for you know a, a medium yeah. for for uh, supernatural energy. Um, and he's sort and- of El Jefe's. Yes, and he he, worship, he sort of worships El Jefe. He worships Ash, but he also gives him shit uh, about uh, about his his uh, regressiveness. And no, but there's but there's a concept that he believes in, which is why he ends up following Ash of an El Jefe. Yes, which, yes. which is which is someone who has been positioned as uh, one of the one of like the core people that can stop evil and Pablo believes Ash to be an El Jefe that he's always been told um, he would he would be a part of in some in some capacity. Yeah. Throughout the season he um, Kelly's parents get murdered by evil so she's motivated and then and that sort of sets off Kelly's path throughout the show which is like becoming a badass lady who uh, just wants to fight evil and is like actually dedicated to the task and it sort of becomes in contrast yeah. to ash who's constantly trying to skirt his difficult his, his unless he's getting glory out of it he constantly tries and sk- to skirt his duty uh, which actually is a good time to mention that i think part of the reason that works so well is because this this the plot of this first season was a uh redone uh plot like uh idea that they had been writing so uh, that it, that it, this was kind of a rebaked idea of the treatment that they had written for the sequel to the remake of the 2013 movie, where Ash and uh, Mia Jane Levy's character uh, team together to fight evil, and you can see Kelly has has everything taken away from her the same way Mia does, and by the end of Evil Dead, you know Mia goes from to a complete fucking badass and so kelly is very much in that mold she obviously becomes her own character but they kind of set up her character the same way has everything taken from her has a reason to follow ash but then takes true uh true like pleasure in the cause actually i would say more so than dedication more so than anyone else because ash like has it has uh taken it as part of his identity but would love for it to not happen uh and um Pablo's, you know, following along with, like, a prophecy and following along with Ash. Pablo also gets caught up in, like, the whenever Ash is like, let's let's go party instead. Like, Pablo's like, yeah, it sounds, sounds, sounds chill. That's what happens. Yeah, Kel- Kelly actually has, like, a fucking mission to not just kill evil, but to torture them in the way that she feels like she's been tortured. Which is some great scenes in the first season where she is, like, uh, taking a lot of pleasure in her work as a uh, dead-eyed killer. <laughs> I love Kelly. I, lo- I love I Kelly and Pablo. Um, yeah. But Kel- but Kelly in particular, like I hope I hope that actress goes on to do a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. They go off on their journey. At the same time, there's sort of a character that's not all that relevant named Amanda, um, who's a cop who uh, faced evil, and uh, her essentially her partner got possessed. And then she shot her partner. Now she's on leave, uh, and she thinks Ash. Uh, might be responsible for all this evil and might be able to provide some answers. She runs into a demon named Ruby, played by Lucy Lawless. <coughs> we don't Catholic's know as a demon at first, just that he she's also hunting the evil and hunting Ash. 
And has Ash's hand. Yes. Uh, we, we can skip over some yeah. of the, the, the stuff with Ruby where she, like, steps no fire and all that. Like, but essentially, like, they get separated, but they know each other and Amanda trusts Ruby. Um, and so um, <laughs> Ash realizes that this Ruby character is following him. Uh, it's, and he decides that he needs to destroy the Necronomicon and this evil. And to do that, he goes back to the source of the problem. He goes back mm-hmm. to the cabin. Um, so he goes to the cabin. Uh, there's a very Evil Dead sequence where uh, he gets a shit beaten up um, by the house. And he... Uh, uh, there's uh, other teens. There's other teens. Including... Did you notice one of the teens? Uh, Samara Weaving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is amazing because she's sort yeah. of like... I think of her and Jane Levy as very similar sort of actors. We're like... Have you seen Ready or Not yet? They could... Yeah. Ready or Not's amazing. Um, she's got that same energy. She's really good at this. We will be talking about Ready or Not in my top uh, 10 movies of the year uh, at our uh, 2019 wrap-up. Oh, uh, in a few months. Um Spoilers. Oh, yeah. Um, so they, they remind me of each other because they both have like horror cred, even though they could both go on and, and just like do whatever the fuck they want. But yeah, for some she, reason, she's really keep... good in kind of a thing. Uh, I don't say th- it could have been a thankless role. She does a really good job in it. Do you know why she's in this and why uh, the backpackers are uh, also speaking with a because they shot accent? this in New Zealand? They, sh- they shot this in New Zealand. Lovely. Yeah, lovely where's man. where's Jermaine and uh, Brit? <laughs> they would not contend with evil well i don't think what are you talking about they made well one of them made a whole show about evil <laughs> they go to the cabin it's just murray <laughs> ash present he's overpaying grossly for the cabin that guy is awesome and he shows up in so much random new zealand stuff it's it is a shame that he wasn't in ash versus the evil dad uh yeah i mean he could have just swung by it's not a very big country. I, I went there for my honeymoon. It's a, it's a, but anyways, um, they get to the cabin. They want to destroy the book. Ruby meets. Uh, actually, let's talk about Amanda really quickly just to wrap that up because she's in very important season one, but then not important for the rest of the show. Uh, Amanda. She's not in it. Ever. Um, essentially gets a double. His his uh, old possessed hand uh, becomes a, a new um, builds a whole second ash. Uh, Ash and Amanda have, have struck up a, a sort of flirty relationship at this point. And Amanda's like, oh, well, Ash actually wants this. He's taking this seriously. Uh, it's actually just the evil hand using this as an excuse to murder her. Murders her. She turns into a deadite. Um, she attacks. Ash has to kill her, even though he, uh, he... Well, actually, she gets killed by the deadite, I think. She and does, she, yeah. Uh, yeah, on the, on the deer. Uh, on the deer, yes. Yeah. Uh, then Ash has to kill her as a zombie. Uh, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And then Ruby, he's mad at Ruby about her, um, her meddling in his life and, and getting in his way of destroying the book. Ruby wants the book to. Uh, Ruby is is one of the old ones. She's one of the old dark ones. Uh, dark ones, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, you find out that the the book was written by the dark ones, which are half demon, half human, and they wrote it essentially to bridge the gap between the demon world. And um, the human world. And one one thing I really like is that Ruby is kind of the only one that's still around or still able to go into the earthly plane uh, through the book. And so once the the book and also the the Kand, uh, Kandarian dagger, which which takes on a role in this show well more than the movie where it's like, oh, there's a cool knife. Um, it's like an which is to kill button to deadites. Um, yeah. And it's, it's the golden demons gun. like they get fucked up by that, but like nothing else will hurt them. 
Yeah, including Ruby. It's the one the only thing. But she 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 does want to essentially bring demon kind back, bring balance back to the earth that um, not to destroy the earth in an apocalypse, which you could do with the book, but to kind of uh, gain power and just uh, keep, you know, the, the old uh, there can't be there can't be light without darkness. And that uh, it would be great if the darkness was under one control as opposed to just randomly chaotically uh, destroying that. But it also brings up a huge part that's going to be a part of this is that she when she first sees Ash or talks about Ash. She does recognize that, like, that part of the book, they didn't ink. One day in the book, that picture of Ash uh, with his chainsaw up that we see first in Evil Dead 2 that is basically prophesizing his defeat of the evil in Army of Darkness uh, showed up one day of the book. And they've been trying to find him and destroy him and make sure that that doesn't happen forever and obviously failed because in the kind of time loop of the the way that evil is defeated um it actually gets defeated in the past that stops it from happening in the future and ruby is uh is the big bad in the whole show uh it feels like they were maybe moving on from her after season three but they also feel like they were moving on from her after season one um also and season so, two knows? and it's well it's, at the end of season well, well yeah we'll get to it at the end of we'll season two it. they kind of promise that like this is going to be ruby's final standoff and then yeah, yeah she'll be a, she'll be a big bad again yeah so uh, ruby but she she offered she offers ash a bargain after all this <laughs> she offers ash a bargain offers him uh the one thing that he wants more than anything which is uh, which is so, so dumb that we haven't even mentioned it. And, I love uh, it so much that he he idolizes, he fantasizes about Jacksonville, Florida as like the place. <laughs> he's like a he's like it, it, the show is so close to like making him a parrot head. It's not even funny um, that he like he, he sees that as like the place to be. But he's just you know he's never made it there. Um, and she says, "I will offer you like uh, you know you, you can go back to essentially being asleep." Um, and you'll be in Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, Ash, being a cowardly, narcissistic guy, yep. takes the deal. And the season ends with Ash gloriously driving the Delta uh, uh, south, southward away from evil. Ruby has the Necronomicon. And uh, Pablo has been saved from uh, an incident. And uh, yeah, so uh, essentially Pablo and, and, and Kelly are very pissed at him. But... But they what go to work at the do? bar with him in Jacksonville. A, a, a balance has been struck, at least. Like they, they know that the, the the alternative was like complete obliteration. But they just well, really hate the ba- Ash. Just like took the deal. Well, the one thing we should mention too is part of the reason he took the deal is that um, he, Ruby's children started to come out and they were going to kill Pablo. Pablo gets uh, Ruby cuts off the face of the uh, Necronomicon and throws it onto Pablo, and then he starts uh, spitting out. Uh, Ruby's demon children out of his own uh, mouth, which is going to be a big part of where Pablo's character goes for the next two seasons. So um, he Ruby basically Ash cowardly, not cowardly at the moment that he makes the deal, a deal for himself and his two friends. Now, um, it does feel like if he hadn't made the deal, those two would be dead almost immediately. So it would be dead. However, Ash could have resealed at least Pablo would be dead. Maybe also Kelly. But and he well, Kelly's in the, the basement. Evil. So one of the other funny uh, we can just start talking about the season. So obviously the 
Maybe not, obviously. <laughs> but uh, episodes 8 through 10, when they get back to the cabin, are the best part of the season. It is – I remember watching it the first time, Peter. I was like, okay. Like, this went from being a show that I – oh, I like seeing Bruce Campbell as Ash again. Cool. Chainsaw arm to – okay, what are they doing here? And I really like – um both uh basically everything they do in the cabin it's the it right feels amount of like worthwhile fan service as opposed to uh you know the last star wars movie yeah and i also like i mean i like what they do with ruby i like because they've, they've kind of slow played like you know that she can talk to demons you know she can't be killed she does seem to want to kill bruce campbell but we also see her killing other demons like we don't quite get what her deal is and i really like the concept of the dark ones like these these people that were part demon part human and kind of uh, thread the needle between the worlds for control and like the book was basically their way to to uh, to bridge to bridge the gap and I, I like that fits with so much of what we know from before like why this book was created in the first place um, and Lucy Lawless's character and this is really good so like when it finally kind of hits that it's it's really good um and the other thing that like it it's got better near the second half of this season and then actually gets stays good for like the rest of it which is pretty amazing is that man the first half of the season um including the pilot who's which is directed by Sam Raimi is like way too reliant on terrible CGI blood effects um and so also by the time they get back to the cabin, they've kind of done away with it. They're like – they're back to mostly practical effects or at least cutting away at the right time so they don't need to show the you know the head falling off and the, the shitty CGI uh, blood gusher. Um, and then for seasons two and three, like maybe that's a really good place to start. Like the gore and the cleverness of the – brutality of the killings of the deadites and like this show sings when it is killing uh killing things whether things are being killed by deadites or deadites are being killed um after it gets over a little bit of weird reliance on cgi early on uh this show's fantastic it's probably the goriest television show of all time yeah, I can't think of what show would keep up in terms of, like, buckets of blood per minute. Like, I, I, I feel like they – I mean, like, Walking Dead is pretty gross, obviously. Um, uh, but, like, <laughs> Walking Dead is more about, like, nailing, like, the realism of the moment. Ash versus Evil Dead is like, <laughs> well – um, this is a demon in a fantasy universe, so we're going to have literally more blood than could possibly be contained inside this body, uh, be sprayed everywhere. And that's well, we and the hook, the hook, we had three big Home Depot buckets of blood <laughs> and, uh, I'm not storing them in the fridge. So we're using them in the scene. The hook of the title sequence is that it explodes onto the screen, Ash versus the Evil Dead in blood, which means that in the first three minutes of every episode there's going to be a explosion or a geyser of blood to get there um usually a head explosion <laughs> yeah something something getting cut off or some yeah it, it's and they they actually keep up with that uh, for every episode and do it in relatively clever ways so it is appreciated but let's talk about how to kind of continue where we we're at before the break a little bit and i think it's most important in season one 
how I it is some it is a little frustrating to feel like this show does not quite understand Ash Williams. This show, mm. and I don't know if it's lazy. Be a big disagree here. What? This is going to be a solid disagreement here. Interesting. So, um, I really, like, I guess, I mean, I can buy the concept of this person defeated evil, especially as we see in season two that adds a lot of character to, like, he has nowhere to go. We'll get to that soon. Um, he has been abandoned by everyone. He's not fighting evil anymore. He's just some guy who was at a cabin and everyone died. And now he works at Hardware Stars and drinks and fucks. Uh, like, I buy that as, like, a um, – he never, like, just, you know, became a fucking accountant or some shit. Sure. Um, but I, I feel like it is a lot of, like, giving the fans the – old Ash is back and it doesn't match with what he is. And then also, like, those these first few episodes, too, like, of this season, besides the, like, I mentioned they have the uh, – we're going to have the drug and you're going to uh, – you're going to uh, go into a fantasy world to figure out your destiny, which again is like, oh, you've ran out of ideas of, of a lot of other shows. But also like every episode ends with like a 70s, uh, 70s rock hit, uh, classic rock. And it's like, was, was Ash into classic rock? Like – there's, there's just so Are you much complaining it, about the fact that the show has like a killer fog hat needle, needle drop at the end of every episode. Like the, just, the needle drops are so good in the show. So, sometimes I think sometimes it's, it's songs I don't like. I mean, it's it's song by song, but again, it it just it feels like like what it feels like this show thinks and in this season they stopped that after season one i should mention it does feel like this show in season one thinks that one of ash's characteristic is that he loves classic rock and maybe it was but I, yeah okay so let's let's that's that my problem let's, let's do that and let's jump back okay ash is in a state of rest development ash is stuck in the late 70s because that's the last time his life was good that's the last time he was he was partying, having a good time before his life got fucked up, and he's constantly trying to recreate. That's the reason he still drives the Chevy Nova or the Chevy Delta. It's the reason that he's obsessed with like wearing the same wardrobe. He's still trying to fuck like he's a twenty year old. He's got he's got his girdle. He's got the whole thing. The music thing is because that's where that's the last time life was good for him. So him playing Almond Brothers band or uh, fucking Deep Purple or uh, Detroit era uh, rock music like the show actually has like amazing needle drops. Like it plays like Scott Walker sometimes old man's back again um like i'm going through it, it feels like it stole the needle drops from eastbound and down where it makes sense and it's supposed to be the sort of moment where you're like it's supposed to be this moment where you're like this is very dorky but also i'm on ash's level right now like i i i, I i'm here like i the idea of unironically dropping journeys don't stop believing in an episode is like Yes, like the song is overdone as shit, but that's the thing is like 
he's been listening to the same music since like the 70s and 80s like he's stuck right there okay well what about the other part then like the whole like he's just a drunk horny like oh, that was okay. yeah let me that let was me not that. part of it though like uh, yeah it was it was absolutely mm, part of it no. um so uh the the idea that he is you think he was a drunk wo- womanizer was like a part of the act character prior to the show army of darkness but i I don't like Absolutely. him. Okay, so the the creators talk about it in the commentary track because I watch I listen to the commentary track for a few of the episodes just to kind of hear like the old gang back together, see how they talk about the show. I mostly just listen to the first couple episodes because I wanted to hear them like you know still excited to talk about the show. I didn't really hear want to hear them talk about like epi- Rob Tappert getting sleepy on episode seven. Um, they characterize the the way that they talk about Ash really I think clears the air for me. Um, and, and helps me settle a lot of like my uh, discomfort with what they did with the character um, because it completely makes sense to me. Okay. I'm Their vision, all of them think he's this unqualified, cowardly, narcissistic dork. He's stuck where he was. Uh, he's unable to commit to anything. Like he is a, he is a man who um, – literally refuses the hero's call as he's performing the hero's call. And like yeah. army of darkness is based on basically like the, he has to be dragged kicking and screaming into being a hero. They originally wanted to make Ash a much uglier character. Like there's essentially a sequence at some point where Ash, like they wrote in uh, Sam Raimi wrote into the script that he wanted Ash to be like abandoned a bunch of children outside the city gates and somebody else has to go save the kids or something. Like they, 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 they liked the idea of this ugly, awful ash and then in army of darkness they like the idea that ash is just like oh yeah in an army of darkness ash takes as soon as he becomes he gets up an ounce of power he becomes a hedonist he he drinks all the wine he has he has, he has sex with as many of the you know the court women as he can he tries to he tries to well, sleep he do, with the ladies he doesn't do that he and, sleeps one, one person and no, he literally is talking. He's telling everybody the story about in Evil Dead Two about like all the shit that happened in Evil Dead Two. He's telling the story about what happened in the Middle Ages, and then he immediately was like, "Anyway, so that girl, uh, that girl was a pretty great girl. Uh, anyway, so uh, you want to hook up with me, right? Give me some sugar, baby." Like he immediately French kisses a, a girl at the end of the movie <laughs> in a in a sequence that you have you have stated. It's canonical and not a fantasy. I'm I'm actually fine with it being canonical, even in this weird canon. But I so I do. He says to M. Beth Davis, "Give me some sugar, baby." And you're right. He does become a hedonist. He's like, "Fuck this. Everything's been terrible." Blah blah blah. But then after that, he like he is like clearly has a lot of feelings. They have that long walk at the end where he has to say goodbye with a lot of emotion. He went to the cabin with his with his. Like girlfriend, and he was very sad when she died. And actually, one of the most affecting parts of season one is when he has to go back to the cabin and see her head. Yes, in the vice. Still, like it's the same character. Is he still? He like he disposes of these women, and then he's like, "Shit, she was a really good girl. I wish that didn't have to go down that way." No, I I don't I don't think it's. It's the exact I really same don't thing. Think it's that. it's no. the exact same thing. Him, and then him being sad about losing his sister in season two. Oh, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll get there. That's so good. Yeah, that's that's a, that's the similar thing. Um, but anyways, my my point is, they have they have just. But I don't think he's disposing the of them. His 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 girlfriends have tried to eat him. But it it seems like if anything, he's like um, at least between Evil Dead one and two, and then Army of Darkness, like. He unceremoniously throws Embeth Davids off of a, a, a fucking castle wall. 
Well, when she's possessed. Yeah. No, but 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 he, he like, I guess he like quips at her when he does it. <laughs> so when here's when Ash is funny to me. Like, which is most of Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. I think the quintessential Ash moment that really sums up his character as described by these all these guys on the Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness commentary a little um is like just someone who is a coward and incompetent. And that's like it's not like that's not here in this show. I don't want to act like the show doesn't understand um Ash. Like the the quintessential moment is the Army of Darkness graveyard book scene where like he wasn't paying enough attention to what the person was saying because he decided like that he had defeated enough that he gets it all and I'm going to go do this thing and then fucking get me out of here and then when he gets to the graveyard he doesn't fucking remember but his 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 gut instinct is to like try to skate by a little bit. To muscle through. To muscle through and hope that no one notices. And then act a little bit indignant when 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 he gets called out, in this case called out means uh, attacked by by skeletons and raising the army of the dead for not paying attention. Where, because he's like, hey, I'm fucking doing my best. Like, how how is this my fault that the dead arose because I said a word wrong? Like, that's the ash that I think is present in Evil Dead 2. I think the Evil Dead 2 moment is actually him wrestling his hand, where he is both, like, crying and angry and, like, it's... But it all fits. It's just someone who wants this shit to be done. And... And, and he'll but it, he'll cut corners. He'll he'll cheat. cut every he'll corner to get it done. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll sacrifice people he loves and cares about. It'll cause bodily harm to himself. It's 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 the you want to you want to say to him you want to say to him like hey if you actually want it to be done spend the five minutes to think about it for a little bit longer or memorize the passage and you'll be fine. And he just doesn't learn from that. Like There's a that season one where he gets stuck in the, the thing you were talking about is he gets stuck in season one. He, he, he uh, gets uh, attacked by evil. He steps on a nail or something. And so his yeah. foot is getting infected and his quick reaction is like, fine, I'll chop off my leg and just get used to yeah. that. And then like, he's like, wait a minute. And then he realizes like the snake bite, suck it out thing. Yeah. That's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And that is, that is, I think the genius of the character it really is. I think that's why the character has stood this, the test of time, has made me a lifelong fan of that character. I think it's the consistent part that carries him through essentially all the movies and why people love him and then i think there's a couple lines in army of darkness that people have decided and also he wants to fuck a lot and it and and again i'm i'm wrong in the sense that sam raimi and bruce campbell and rob tabbard and all those people disagree with me um so and the show proves it um that they absolutely disagree with that part of it i just am like and this is true, like, when I, when I first saw that first episode of Evil Dad and it introduces him, like, you know, drunk spanking uh, a person in the bathroom, I'm like, huh, this, this isn't, like, that's not the funny part of, of, 
of of Bruce Campbell as this character. Like that's that's not going like holy shit, Ash is back. Like I I was like, what the fuck is that? But, uh, uh, but okay, let me let's pause there. But they're not doing that to tell to say that he's cool at all. They're making fun of Ash and the idea that this old fucking dude is is like, well, we got to bring him out of retirement. Like the idea that Ash Williams is relevant while there's all these way more qualified, way more capable around people around. But he has to be the chosen one. Like he he's prof- prophesized to be the chosen one. Like they literally. So so before him getting ready to go out for that night is like the opening, basically the opening scene of the show. Like it's before they realize that evil's back and everything. He's literally tightening a girdle on, and they're making fun of him. They're trying well, that, to like, but like that, to, like, that part make, is good. Like they're basically trying to make fun of Ash as much as possible, and it's an extension of the uh, beating up on Bruce Campbell thing. Well, yeah, I, I think that's what it is. I think it's it's Sam Raimi and possibly more people have a sadistic sociopathic a need to to make sure that Ash's character. Um, it sucks in a lot of different ways. I guess I like I don't I don't think there's there's too much to be gained from like oh let's make him an old racist. Like I like it's 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 not that like I'm offended necess- or anything like that. So you know what you know what actually here. You know what the f- the possibly the funniest moment of season 1 is mm-hmm. which which actually is the perfect like Bruce Campbell as Ash stupidity funny moment. It's when um, it's when Kelly's parents are killed and he fashions those fucking crosses that he did for all those other movies, puts them in the ground and says a few words to try to like, well, you know, I know you lost parents. I, I've lost a lot of people and I'm kind of numb to it. And I'm, I'm doing my best to be like the, the person who's been through this and guide you through it. And she looks at him and goes, and goes crosses. You know they were Jewish, right? And he goes, "Oh, well, I wish you would have told me that before I spent all that time making those fucking crosses." <laughs> and like that is that is the Bruce Campbell thing, where like in his attempt to do the right thing, he fucks it up terribly. He didn't even and stop to ask. He didn't even stop to ask because it, it was easier just to, for him to go about his process. And then when he's called on it, he gets annoyed at the person who's like, hey, this actually kind of sucks for this reason. <laughs> it's um, so good. And he gets annoyed. But like that that's it. Like when we're talking – like I could see someone going like, oh, it's an off- – I don't know if someone would say that's an offensive joke. I don't, that, but, but like that's the kind of like – accidentally offensive about people's culture that makes sense not him just being racist about a mexicans like that's my problem it's not it's not even that like i'm like oh my gosh how dare you say that i've heard that a million times it sucks it's shitty but it just doesn't match his character yeah i I just i just disagree entirely i i think it i think it depends on whether or not you see ash as sort of a a you can correct whatever I, I identify here, but let's say column A is people who see Ash as like a dork hero who at the end of the day, he come, you know, he, he does what he needs to do. This sort of like, you know, he's clumsy, but he gets the job done kind of hero or me, which is just an unfortunate schmuck. He is just this, this dumb fucking schmuck who just gets like taken through the ringer. He's a Marx Brothers character. He's a he's this he's this just like he's it's not even that he's he's you know the um, least likely candidate. It's that he's like 
the least qualified candidate in most ways. The only reason that Ash is, is, is qualified is because he, for whatever reason, 40 years ago, picked up a gun and a chainsaw as opposed to just getting murdered. Like that is, and that he's a prophetic, prophetic character, right? Like I see Ash as this, this dumb fucking schmuck. That's just a wrong place, wrong time. And he just, his entire life is wrong place, wrong time. And the show is him like literally like welcoming evil by being a dummy. Like he, he, he just keeps stepping on the fucking rake. And, but I, but I think that's good, but I, I'm not sure how that, has to do with like him being uh because he's not he's not someone to look up to i think the idea i I think you'd at the very least admit that those those components of him being like a misogynist bigot were introduced in this show no bigot yes misogynist no i just think what what part what part of the movies they just would not have thought to do the con the contrast uh the character contrast um well, in the first movie, uh, the first movie, he's like, let's not even talk about the Evil Dead, right? Um, let's do Evil Dead. Well, we can. Like, that, I mean, that's where his sister dies. He's dating uh, He's it's, dating Linda. It's not really relevant because that was, like, who he was before all the craziness happened. Sure, like, but, he's, like, he's, he's just, just dating he's a girl. He's an innocent, right? He like, got her a present? Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's, like, a sweet boy, but he's, like, he's not yeah. that character in Evil Dead 2. And he's not that character in, in Army of Darkness. Like that, Evil Dead One is such a distance from this sort of. But he's not an person. unsweet boy, and I mean, Evil Dead Two gives the recap of the sweetness of his relationship, um, and then you know Bree kills his girlfriend. But yeah, so um, my point here is that in Army of Darkness, he is also like they play him as a womanizer. They play him as someone who will take advantage of any 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 chance. But you say any? Attention. There's one. No, there's 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 one lady, and then there's the hedonism of him at, at, at the court, which in an eighty just, whatever just minute movie is grapes. nothing. And there's the fact that like the movie ends with him just uh, uh, at, at a moment of a uh, heroic triumph. He uh, uh, t- v- VJ Day uh, Times Square uh, dips and bows uh, a rando lady in a hardware store and smooches well, coworker. Her. Is she a coworker in uh Yeah, she's a co yeah, no, she works, she works, she works with her and she goes up and she said she goes up to him and says, I hear the story you keep telling about you being a king. I think it's pretty cute. Like yeah. it's not out of nowhere. She's he, hitting on him. The, but yeah, like the, that dip, that dipping and smooching kind of thing. Like that's all. That's all Ash Williams. Like he's just take. He takes advantage of any moment to like look like a hero, and if it impresses a lady, like that's that's like literally. I feel like that's literally all that motivates him in Army of Darkness is like to to impress the lady. The only thing that actually Ow. makes him. The only thing that actually makes him go out and be a hero is. Uh, is 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 uh when he's in the court and he's getting all the attention of the ladies in the first time, and then he comes back to the castle, and then he's like, "Fuck this! I'm not doing. I'm not doing this. Like, send me back to my time." Um, like in the deal, though, book, they they then, present him how to get gets, back, and then she gets abducted by the gargoyle or whatever. And, when he comes back, and, and then he he's like, it up. and he's like, "Oh, I better go get my girl." Like the only thing that motivates him in Army of Darkness is. Uh, impressing women. I, I don't think that comes up once in Army of Darkness. I would question what movie you've seen. That's crazy, dude. That's fucking crazy. Like, you know, exactly uh, you know how many times I've about. seen that movie? 
You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I no, I like I, so I'm not being an asshole. Looked- I'm not being obstinate. I fundamentally disagree with you. Yes, when when while they're trying to figure out a time for him to the only time he to- feels shame. Everybody shames him, shames him, shames him, and then she comes up to him and he, and she's like, "Actually, you are being an asshole." And he's like, "Fuck, I was being an asshole." Like all that all that matters to him is disappointing or impressing women. But no, because then she gets taken away. He doesn't go after her. He still is just planning to go home. And, t- and then they, they're like, yeah, we'll send me back even after she gets taken. And he he doesn't go out to impress her in the first place. Uh, what's his name comes in and is like, hey, I found the part in the book. And he's like, oh, shit. All right. Let me go out and go do the yeah. thing to get home. But we could we could do this all night. You don't like the way that they they preceded the character of Ash. He was going. I just don't. I, I, I just. Think, I, I just. It, here's it, the thing. I don't, I don't think it matches well. Years. It's been 20 years. And they're basically I don't think it per- matches well. And I don't think it's interesting or additive. What what is what is interesting and good about the character is him, which we do agree on 100 percent, is him being a complete bumbling incompetent who wants to take every shortcut and when they hit those comedy moments in this show it's fantastic like the part i described yeah the laziest thing they could have done was made him a misogynist racist and they do that too and i just don't find it either relevant to his previous character or funny and interesting in this show i don't think that's lazy at all i think what they're doing what they actually do in the show is they're trying to uh, make a character that's grossly unsympathetic and grossly unheroic, but at the end of the day, you still root for him. They're actually taking quite a big risk by making a character that constantly needs to be corrected by Kelly and Pablo. But do you? I mean, I do like Kelly and Pablo's corrections. Like they're very yeah, good. Yeah, that's like what that's like, like that's, that's like half the fun of the show is Kelly and Pablo being like absolutely not, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I I do think that's love. part funny, but I but I also like I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that this show is written by a bunch of 50 to 60 year old white guys who are like who think it's funny. But I think that they think it's it's funny that he's the butt of the joke and the show is constantly written to prove that he's wrong. Some I don't know. OK, uh, I, 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 I don't disagree. Again, my, my agreement with you is that all the creators of the show and Bruce Campbell agrees with you. I just think it's both taking the least interesting parts of like a couple lines that he says as well as um something that's not as funny but anyway it's also part of him being stuck in the past right is that like why would he why would he have a compassionate a com, uh, be a, an open compassionate listener if he's spent you know 20 something years just drinking himself in a hole and just trying to find any any possible inlet to to uh to have sex with a woman like why would he all of a sudden become this compassionate open listener like no his his attitudes would be stuck in whatever the hell whatever the hell it was back in the day he would go to the late in terms of laziness i think the character is going to the laziest route possible which is zero growth um i don't think yeah i i I, I guess i just wish that i don't think the show is going the laziest direction i think Mm -hmm. ash is going in the laziest direction (laughs) i think that's true and like i can intuit that where i go well you know he he basically has been frozen in time since 1981 which effectively is when all three of the movies take place from his perception yeah um and like but i i just i I think the show thinks it's more a part of his previous character than it actually 
was. But uh, where, I, why I think it does have some redemptive qualities, even in the worst part of what I would consider the first season, is that the second season actually takes it in a far interesting direction and actually deals with some of the ramif- the unsaid ramifications of what we saw in those three movies, which is the fact that Ash went to a cabin with his sister, his girlfriend, and friends and came back with all of them uh, cut up by a chainsaw through a portal in time. Peter, you want to move on to talking about season two? We absolutely have to. Yes. Yeah, so this is the season that I think just does everything right throughout. Um, it yeah. sets up a, a really good, uh, a really good hook, and then continues to build upon it with enough twists and turns. Uh, it never feels like it, it does what a, what a ten episode narrative uh, uh, season of television should do, which is uh, it never just it has great concepts. It executes as part of the plot and has um, isn't just waiting for the firework factory at the end and kind of uh, churning its wheels a little bit sometimes till it gets there, but consistently has a bunch of ideas that are going to get us to that ending in a compelling and interesting way. So the the hook of the season is that, yeah, uh, Ruby, uh, her children that she unleashed at the end of the first season turn on her, take her immortality. And she is stuck asking for help for the one person who she knows can stop evil because it's in her book, Ash. Uh, so Ruby kind of becomes a good guy, which is a great turn for Lucy Laws' character in this. Um, and uh, they it's, get it's just uh, so much more fun to have her on the good guy side as part right? of the as part of the team and interacting with everyone and getting frustrated with Ash because that's. <sighs> That's basically been her uh, perceived antagonist for 2,000 years. And now tends to build up a mighty resentment in people. Yeah. And and he, again, because he's Ash, consistently sucks. So uh, it's both uh, being impressed by uh, his ability to somehow constantly stop evil as well as his general boorishness and incompetence. But uh, he has to go back to Elk River, Michigan, where he's from. Elk Grove. Oh, sorry, Elk Grove. It's a made-up town. Um, well, then I'm not sorry. I made up a different one. That I that is what I call. That's my nickname for the made-up town. Uh, it's my made-up nickname. But yeah, he has to go back, uh, and he has to. He doesn't want to go back because he's never been back. Except, well, he, he. Sorry, he hasn't been back in a long time because when he finally came back from all three movies that we saw, he was called Ashy Slashy, who killed his sister, killed his girlfriend, and killed his friends. And clearly, he wasn't jailed for it. But no one really believed his story. His dad, who's played by the uh, the six million dollar man himself, uh, Lee Majors. Uh, kind of was uh, did not believe him really that he didn't kill his sister um, and thought uh, he's someone who uh, couldn't own up to his crimes um, which matches his cowardly nature but in this type he he was telling the truth Um, so going back there is, is really I think help some of the parts that we that were a problem in season one which is we see that this isn't just a guy who came back and then has been stuck working at an S-Mart equivalent for years, but instead 
was uh, actively rejected by his uh, friends and loved ones in the town that he grew up with and seen as a uh, murderer, which makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. Like He wasn't the, allowed the thing to that heal, we, so he never did. Yeah, we we never the, – the, the, the part about Army of Darkness we never have to come to terms with is like, okay, but what happens when that guy comes back from that cabin? <laughs> you know, we know who we went out there with. Were they just like, oh, yeah, dead cabin, man. Yeah. What happened in that cabin? Do you think, do you think if uh, Robert Wagner owned a cabin? Uh, <laughs> I, we, we I don't, don't have time. <laughs> you know, uh, did Christopher Walken push push your sister in that basement uh, <laughs> at your direction, Bruce Campbell? Um, but uh, yeah, which is which is great. It's great to set it in this town that hates him. The sheriff, who's like dating his high, uh, another high school girlfriend. Um, or, or some girlfriend that he had at some point, or friend, maybe. Maybe they never dated. Um, I'm not quite sure. Um, he, they were they were on the locket level. Yeah, they. Uh, he um, he is uh, he's very suspicious of him, both for being a serial killer and because he had you know made moves on his wife. Uh, they have a daughter together as well. Um, but they go back and yeah, like Lee Majors, his dad is like, fuck you. I guess you can stay here. You suck. Um, meanwhile, they're trying to talk to Ruby and Ruby's like, hey, everything's got out of control. And Pablo is now seeing visions because he was uh, made basically uh, at one with the Necronomicon. He He's like a still a living embodiment of it while still retaining all of his uh, his Pablo-ness. So the season does a lot of really cool things. So uh, first, there's another uh, the, basically Ruby's partner in writing the book, uh, a guy named Ball, who uh, Bruce Campbell continues to or Ash Williams continues to call Bill, um, is like the 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 ying to. Ruby's Yang, uh, and he gets summoned back. And his his thing is less like overpowering demon shit, but to uh, infect people's minds and make them kill people, which is very like a demonic thing. It actually fits really well with like the idea that there's all these different demons. He's a demon who doesn't need to brutally attack people because he just uh, possesses people or gets into people's heads and causes chaos that way. So there's a great episode. Based on a, uh, I almost said an actual demon, but whatever. Uh, uh, this is <laughs> a, not a random name they made up. There's an actual yeah. uh, you know, demonic presence uh, that is that has the name Ball. So um, there's, a, there's a great episode I'm sure you loved, Peter, in like episode five where they're at the police station. And the other thing that Ball can do is kill people and take their skin. Uh, so very like John Carpenter's The Thing Ask, where mm. they're all stuck in a police station trying to figure out which one of them is Ball. It's uh, so fun. So good. Um, as part of this, Ball eventually affects uh, – it really infects the sheriff who decides he needs to kill – Ash and that Ash is the problem. Um, the other really good thread that goes through all these first few episodes is I, I mean, I really did get um, like had kind of the wind knocked out of me or whatever. When he approaches his sister's room and like it's the first time that I'm like, oh yeah. Like she was her sister in that first movie. Like this isn't just a, it's like in the third or fourth episode. This isn't just about like he killed some friends at a cabin. Like his dad also had his daughter taken away from him, seemingly by his son. 
uh, and there's a great long hallway walk to his sister's room, uh, Cheryl, where her name's still on it, and he walks inside and sees it. Uh, the other really fun part of this season is that uh, his friend from high school who still believed in him the whole time, who's now like a shitty bar- bartender who sells drugs, is played by Ted Raimi. Oh, I love it. I, I love the idea of bringing Ted Raimi back just to play a, a, a fellow scumbag. Like, uh, yep. But the only reason that they haven't like stayed in contact is A, because they're, you know... <laughs> scumbag colleagues uh and two because ash isn't allowed to be in, in be in town really yeah they don't seem like they're exchanging correspondence type people in general <laughs> um so also uh his dad is about to tell him some secret which i don't think ever gets revealed in the show um and then gets run over by his delta who got, which gets possessed at one point um in this uh wonderful ash versus the evil dead way of like we're always going to take away your loved ones right after uh ash fight like the demons infect a bar in this great scene and his dad finally sees that ash has been telling the truth only to then get brutally murdered by you, did you mention uh, the, who the dad is lee majors yeah lee majors <laughs> Which is great. Um, <laughs> to be so, honest, were you introduced to Lee Majors from the movie Scrooged? Uh, pro- probably. I mean, I'm aware of who he is. That's where I learned the name, great- and then later I was like, oh yeah, I guess he was like a, a, an actual kind of like 70s icon. Got it. Yeah. Um. So so that part's so already like you can see how much more plot is going on in the first season. Uh, so eventually that ball uh has a mission to kind of infect Bruce Campbell. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna convince Bruce Campbell that he actually is Ashy Slashy and everything from this has been a mental institute. Um but he doesn't just possess his head, he actually like possesses other characters, which I actually think is a very interesting twist on that trope because most of the time it just happens in their head. Like they get poisoned, but like he has a rented out asylum. Uh, to do it all only for bruce campbell this to be part of his master plan involving a dog tracker that everyone laughed at him and at the end when he is like yep you've convinced me i am a murderer and i need to kill these figments of my imagination who are of course pablo and kelly at the last second it was all part of his master plan to get uh pablo to be able to kill um because he's the book uh, the Necronomicon at this His point. His Bruja powers are combined with the fact that he, yeah, he has. Yeah, all the all the writing, all the language of the Necronomicon starts getting suddenly painfully appearing on him, uh, which is really cool because the Necronomicon, I guess, was destroyed or buried um, in the cabin at the end of season uh, one. Uh, sucked into a portal into hell, seemingly. Uh or no, I guess that happens in, uh, in part of this season. They throw in the trunk of the car, and that w- that's where they thought they were going to finally uh, end it. Uh, but it turns out that that did not work. They just only – they destroyed the only weapon against Ball. Uh, so that still leads us into this last episode, uh, the, the last three episodes, which is also fantastic. As part of Pablo uh, f- using his um, combined Necronomicon powers to kill Ball, Ball kills him. And so now Pablo's dead. And uh, thankfully, Ash remembers that uh, he has traveled through time before and he could do it again. Uh, But this time to stop him from ever going to the cabin in the first place. So they go back uh, before the Evil Dead, the first movie, um, and are surprised when there's still evil there. Except that we remember there's the whole professor and his wife thing. So they go back to the cabin. They deal with that. So cool. Like, 
It's so good. Like, it's so fucking good throughout. And the way they they maniacally jump into that, because we're not going to talk about this. We're not going to have time to talk about this. But, like, the fact that they maniacally jump back into that and and Ash loaded, driving, doing donuts (laughs) with, with Pablo's body in it and then drinking, like... Just chugging a fifth, a fifth of whiskey, getting as high as possible, and then him being like, we're going back in time, and everyone gets in the car. <laughs> like, that whole thing, but the fact that he has Ruby as an asset makes sense, because all of a sudden he's like, well, shit, evil sent me back in time. Why, why can't yeah, we, why all we you have, have to do is gonna... read from the book, yeah. Yeah, we've got this, we've got, we've got a, you know, a dark one. Uh, why not? Uh, you use the two thing. Go back. Go back in time. And Ruby is very apprehensive about it, but she's you know mortal at this point, and she just has to fucking do what he yeah. says. Like it's a great, it's a great little like twist, twist of fate, and it it does the the the, the comedy of it helps soften the fact that you're like. So how many times are we gonna go back to this cabin? Yeah, it works though because you actually are going back before that. You get to see like. All the stuff in the narration where you see Henrietta in the basement, now you're seeing it earlier. And I love that Henrietta, like, when she transforms into her full demon form is the same one from Evil Dead 2 with, like, the extended neck and looks great. Like, I, I, the whole thing is great. Um, and the professor was trying to, like, figure out a way to stop it by bringing other people to the cabin. And it, it makes sense that the evil is loose there. So then they finally stop all that. Pablo seemingly comes back from the dead, except that was part of Ball's trip all all along, is that he basically um, possessed uh, Pablo right before he killed him. Uh, And then Pablo – because Pablo in the car, when he's like – you just think he's having like a weird ketamine um, hallucination. But at one point, Pablo's like, just go back in time again. And Ash is like, yeah. You're right, dead body of my friend. Uh, but it turns out that wasn't just a hallucination. That was Ball working through Pablo. Um, because uh, they were going to bring him back, which they do once they stop the events of seemingly evil dead from happening. Uh, but then there's uh, Ruby, we find out, which makes a lot of sense from what we've seen before, is actually at this cabin giving, trying to get the book when the professor's there. Uh, and so ultimately, Ruby now is not the good Ruby. Ruby's the crazy demon, uh, a dark one Ruby, kills the Ruby that we've gotten to know. And ultimately, they do escape. They do bring Pablo back and they get back to the time. And, and the town, because of something that happened in an earlier episode where his sister – oh, we didn't talk about his sister coming back. His sister comes back, played by the same actress. And – um to torture Ash and he has to kill her in front of the town again to kind of prove once and for all that, hey, look, it's my sister. And hey, look, as you can see, I'm shooting her, but she's going to come back. Um, so Pablo saved. The town finally uh, declares him the hero. Uh, and he kind of kind of regains, even though he lost his dad in the process, he kind of regains that, like, everything he's lost over the last um, 30 years. And the, the stinger of it is that well, obviously, we still have the now evil Ruby in this timeline who is uh, at the town watching him give a speech, accepting the keys to the city um, and uh, clearly tr- plotting a new way to get the book and do what she wanted to do in season one. So, yeah, that that is so lengthy because, like I said, season two fucking rules. 
Yeah, I think season two is kind of so. So season three is like where my fondest memories of the show are. But interesting. Um, I mean, I did watch season two and season three for the first time last month. So season three is where my uh, fondest memories of the show are. But uh, season two is like the most consistently good season. Season season three is is a far more unwieldy season in the beginning before it gets to like I think some of the best shit it does in the show. Season two mm-hmm. is just like solid tv like it doesn't waste it doesn't waste too much of your time they clearly learned a lot of stuff from season one and uh it has a lot of fully developed at this point which means you get to play with them and like subvert them and like little glances from kelly all of a sudden carry like huge weight which means like it has a complexity to care of character that like (laughs) makes little moments with ash and kelly and pablo like carry like comedic and dramatic weight that they could not have possibly had in season one. Yeah, it really, um, it also just has enough ideas to kind of sustain a 10 episode season. And it also like, I don't know if it recognizes it or it just, it was part of the plot that was being introduced, but I think it recognizes that like Bruce Campbell's character needed a little bit of humanizing and it just does it so well. Like it really, paints him as a kind of a someone with a lot of sadness and pain because he really does not want to go back to Elk Grove. Um, yeah. Which feels very not Bruce Campbell that we saw in season one who doesn't care about anything and fuck everything. And then like the emotional weight of realizing that he's going home to his dad who's all alone, who his son, you know, his his son ostensibly killed his sister and then denied it and fled town. and. And he's confronted with Cheryl again, too, which is which is kind of because of the Evil Dead 1, Evil Dead 2 weirdness. Like, it is kind of the forgotten element. Like, it was kind of a throwaway line that that was his sister. We've never had to deal with that baggage of, like, killing your sister. Um, or, you know, like, in a very gruesome, terrible way and what that, what that has to do with it. So, I, I really think the – the the season's really good because it, it reckons with some stuff that was there in the text, but has never uh, because because those movies move so quickly has never been given any sort of weight because there's just not a point in Evil Dead Two or Army of Darkness for anything to slow down enough to be like oh shit yeah uh, and Ellen Sandwise coming back I feel like yeah. rounds out her character from the original movie because in the original movie she basically she auto records she's drawing crazy you know stuff and she's the odd man out she's the only one there that doesn't have a, a partner um other than that she dies pretty damn quickly she has some good spooky stuff before she dies but like she's not a huge part of the original movie and i, I love the idea she's of, in the basement though yeah yeah, yeah. But she, she just kind of becomes a demon like it's not like a it's not really like a, a you know you don't get a sense of the before um and now like through this you get a sense of the before um even though it's in the it, 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 sort of a demon's trick a dead eight's trick. Um, yeah. And I think that it's kind of cool in season two, even though uh, evil Ash, double Ash doubles uh, get very tiresome for me in this, this show. Um, the show does, too, does a few things too many times. Um, too many double, double ashes. Um, Is there, there's not a double ash in this season. Uh, he gets it in season three though. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and and this season they sort of have a double ash in that they have evil ash because he goes crazy in the asylum. Well, he doesn't though. That's the twist. Yeah, but like they they play that twist straight face yeah. for like an episode and a half. Like that still yeah. that still gives me the moment. It's like evil ash is so boring. Like that that whole that whole deal. I I do love that thing where he's like Pablo now, and everyone's like what. I told you, this is my plan with the pet tracker. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's it, so it pays, good. it pays off, and I also love the idea of, of grounding Ash down and the little Ash puppet. Um, yeah. Kelly, oh yeah, fight with the fight with the Ash puppet, so like that, that stuff. That stuff is all great. But like going back to the cabin, also like it would have more impact in season two if in season one they hadn't also gone back to the cabin, right? Like the. Sometimes the show kind of um, runs back to fan service in a way that's not nearly as bad as like, you know, Star Wars movies ended up doing in, in the last one. But like in a way that in a way that like kind of takes uh, amazing moments uh, like Ash stalking around that asylum with a chainsaw and waters them down a little bit like Ash stalking that around that asylum and then using the chainsaw to like light up a fire uh, a fire trail and Ash grabbing Pablo out of that closet and dragging him down the hallway to take him to the operating room like that stuff is so rad and I wish I didn't have hanging in my head like they did kind of already do the evil Ash thing last season (laughs) Yeah, I I do think it's for less than an episode and a half. He's only in the asylum for one, which is a great episode like, again. Like I love it's I lo- an episode. I, it's something also they've never done in Evil Dead before. Like, yeah, they've never they've never done like this sort of like psychological goof them around like where you're like in an environment and you don't know what's real. Like they they hadn't done that yet. Yeah, and it's the puppet adds in, like it, it almost is combining. There's an episode of Buffy where she gets like uh, injected. With something that makes her think that she's been in an asylum and everything's kind of imagined, combined with the Angel episode where Angel becomes a Muppet, um, and uh, and Smile Time in season five, and I I I do like that they pull almost both of those together for some for some very funny stuff. I love that the Ash puppet because it's an Ash puppet controlled by like created and controlled by a demon that it uh, its little chainsaw hand works. That's, oh yeah, yeah. That's so it's, good. It's so rad. Um, this yeah. this season has the hardest. I laughed um, uh, for sure. Um, and it's uh, Ash Morning Pablo doing the donuts. Uh, and then back in season one, the other hardest laugh I ever had was uh, Ash back in uh, back at the cabin, or maybe it's this season when he, the little fetus happens. He has to pull. He he pours hot water down his throat, and he has to extract the little fetus. Is that season two? Yeah, no, that's season one. Okay, but anyways, he gets this fetus because that fetus grows to because it's it's the hand that grows to yeah the other yeah. Hand. So the little fetus jumps out of him, and it's like fuck you, motherfucker, whatever, yeah. and then he, and he blows the thing up like that. And Ash Morning Pablo are the two hardest times I laughed at this whole show, and still just remembering them is so fucking good. Yeah, and uh, I I just really wish that like as we get into season three, the the, the thing this season does really well. Is it is is it almost like puts little markers of when the season's going to change up or or be additive to what we've seen before, right? Like, you know, the first three episodes are getting to Elk Grove, him making peace with his dad, 
blah, 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 Cheryl, stuff like that. Or not Cheryl yet. Then his dad gets run over by a car right after he makes peace. Then we get two episodes of him proving it to Ball comes out. We get two episodes of him proving it to the town and taking on Ball in the police station. And then all of a sudden it switches to Ball kind of, you know, taking Ash and possessing him. And then they kill Ball. And then it's all of a sudden becomes a time travel adventure. And it's it kind of just understands that, like, where Ball still ends up being the big bad at the end, but that um, just introducing – you know, uh, Ruby and Deadites and then kind of dragging that on while a lot of it's good when we get to the end. It needs a little more, uh, it needs a fulcrum to kind of swing back and forth on. And this, which makes sense, like most, I mean, as much as uh, because this is a short season and recent and there's only three seasons, like most season twos are better than season ones. So that's not like that's not like something to indict a show for. I yeah, but like, season two especially is really comedies, good. especially yeah. comedies. Like a- almost every comedy that you love had a very awkward season one, and you just don't remember it. Um, the Park and Rec situation is like kind yeah. of common as hell among like even the most beloved comedies. Well, because even though I like Kelly's turn, like they based on. Um, the fact that it wasn't a sequel to the remake, they still had to give three or four episodes for Kelly to become in the same mental space that Mia was at the end of Evil Dead. And so here you don't have to do that. You just have Kelly being awesome. Um, yeah. And uh, let's let's park here on Kelly really quickly because Kelly is like not giving up the fight like she's in Jacksonville, Florida, while Ash is just reveling and partying with like kids that are way younger than him and like soaking in the affections of like younger, younger folks. Like he hasn't lost it yet, right? Cause, um, well, because he's just the guy with the hand. Yeah, he's the which, he's which the crazy probably like a look chainsaw to a bar and does tricks, right? Like yeah, I don't he know if opens he's kegs with the chainsaw. He's just getting attention, right? Yeah, he's 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 opening kegs with the chainsaw. And look, if there's if there's a thing where a gimmick works, I imagine it's in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, yeah, especially like a tourist town where it's yeah. like the the ultimate thing about vacation is like that was fun. Definitely don't need to do that every day. Uh, people probably he just has an a a, 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 a influx of uh, new people to entertain. Um, and uh, I love on the flip side of that, I love the idea of the the dark ones um, or the dark mm. children. Um, not the dark ones, excuse me. Yeah, I love the idea of the dark children, um, the uh, Ruby's kids, um, because the uh, I like seeing other types of demons. Even though their design is pretty standard, uh, they're really creepy. They did some sort of special, extra special effect. I don't know if it's in the eyes or like the way they move, um, their animation. I love how they start out in baby as babies in like the fir- um, in uh, season one, and then like they kind of grow up. <laughs> And they're still fucking creepy, but it's still like they still did a lot of makeup effects on what I imagine is an eight year old in season one. There is a there's a gleefulness that the show uh, uh, allows uh, children to be exposed to horrific shit in the show where I'm like, I really don't want to know what those kids actually saw. There's a moment I think it's in this. It must be in season two where uh, the there's a child version of an Ash double. Oh, no, that's season three. That's season three. Uh, uh, there's, there's a whole episode where he fucking kicks 
We'll we'll get there. He kicks it's so and like <laughs> pushes so the babe the toddler back up into the vagina, and then the head comes out the head that's been cut off, and he like fights it like a grown person and punches it in the face and shit. It is uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's um, it's it, something. It's, it's it's literally something I've never seen it's before. Never ever. seen anything like that before. And I'm like anybody that gave up on this show after like one or two episodes, like. I encourage you to at least YouTube that scene. So let's, uh, feels like a good time to transition to season three. Yeah, let's do it, Bill. Oh, uh, oh no, we, are, we already talked about it. Yeah, what's it? It's ball. Yeah, yeah, it's ball. Pronounce ball. The old man's back again. So season three starts at the kind of where we left it, that uh, Ash starts a hardware store. Um, Pablo has a uh, <laughs> a, a chip, uh, a, a taco truck slash will fix your computer. Um, and uh, Kelly's gone off to continue to fight evil because she wasn't uh, okay with just settling down. But they've been in the town for a while. Um, and, uh, all of a sudden the book ends up on like an antiques roadshow and they read from it again and the evil comes back, um, and immediately goes to the town and ends up killing these two, one of the, uh, this high school kid, uh, the other one ends up being Ash's daughter, uh, from a long time ago. She's, uh, essentially a senior in high school. Um, Ash's wife slash, uh, this uh, kid's mom. Yeah, so Ash's daughter, Brandy. Uh, Brandy's mom dies as part of all this, and Ash is like, yep, I guess you're my son. Kelly comes back with um, Knights of Sumeria, who is aware of the book and knew that Ash was coming. Um, But as we get into the season, essentially what happens is that because Ruby, the evil Ruby, has done two things. One... She's decided that she can circumvent the prophecy by making an, her own Ash, that it's just a picture of Ash. So she takes some of his uh, essence and impregnates herself with an evil Ash clone that she can control. Um, meanwhile, uh, Brandy has to kind of come to terms with the idea that, that Ash is um, is her father and also, like, is, is he – actually ashy slashy or is he fighting demons there keeps in these first six episodes there keeps ending up circumstances where um it seems like uh like his his dad is brought back to life by ruby he has to kill kill his dad who's just actually a demon and but but brandy was sitting in and saying hey grandpa i guess we're gonna hang out and watch tv um and that's like the first six episodes along with the demon baby of ash uh um the demon baby of Ash, or sorry, Ruby's demon baby, who is a baby Ash, uh, getting born through a circuit, who is chained up in a basement, and Ash fighting fighting that surrogate. They also find a portal that goes into this, the I, I guess what could be generously called uh, the Upside Down, where when people die by getting stabbed with the dagger... They actually don't die if they're not demons. They go to this demon-haunted alternate dark world. I think it's just a limbo because a bunch of the high school kids are there and they didn't die with from the Kendarian dark dagger. 
Yeah, but they, it also is just like it really is the upside down. Like I'm not trying to be dismissive, but it, it's, it's it's rad though. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, disagree. Um, but it's so rad. It's actually like the only time in the show, the three seasons, that I actually was kind of scared. Uh, well, we'll we'll get into that. Um, so anyway, so uh, Ash Ash's clone eventually um shows up at this dance, right? And Brandy's also, like, made friends with Kelly. Kelly actually gets stabbed and, and gets sent to the Upside Down by Ruby. Um, and also, uh, Pablo's been more and more possessed by the book, at one point appearing on on Kelly's leg. Uh, but then, essentially, what ends up happening is that there's a dance um, where they're finally going to show uh, uh, Brandy that Ash is actually a killer, and through this, um, ultimately, uh, Ash kills the clone of Ash pretty quickly um, after their first encounter. But uh, Brandy ends up getting stabbed and ends up in the Upside Down. And so in the next episode, where things really – so that, that episode, by the way, at the dance when all the evils unleashed, uh, everyone gets massacred. Great, great episode. Ends with Brandy dying. Emotional moment. Um it's in the next episode that Ash realizes that these people are still alive because Pablo's like, they're actually just through this portal in this alternate dimension. We have to figure out how to get uh, a way way out. Um, so they um, – Ash kills himself, goes there, rescues everyone except Kelly because Kelly's body in the real world is actually possessed by uh, another dark one that Ruby is friends with. Um so they they uh, ultimately then spend the next episode getting Kelly out, killing Ruby. Ruby actually goes down really quickly. So they unleash Kandar, which is like this uh, Cthulhu kaiju type monster that brings about the apocalypse, dead rising, everyone getting attacked. Um, and in the last episode, uh, it's Ash realizes this isn't just an Elk Grove thing. This is an everywhere thing. People are dying. People are getting possessed. Um, and he has to finally live up to his legacy as the person who's going to stop the apocalypse. And he has a little bit of a mental breakdown where he's like, look, everything that you've seen is basically me uh, having to deal with all the pain and loss. But I'm actually like it's the first time where he's like, I don't even have the bravado or the arrogance or the energy to pretend I can do this. Um, but ultimately they, you know, Brandy uh, and Kelly and Pablo kind of say, talk him into it. R- say, hey, look, you couldn't have just accidentally done all this shit. Like, you you may suck sometimes, but like, you really are a hero. And as part of being a hero, he goes out, the army's there to try to stop Kandar, drop nuclear bombs, shoot it with jets, nothing's working. He puts them all in a truck and says, I'm gonna go save him. He, he gets a tank, he puts the dagger uh, into, um, into the muzzle. <laughs> what do you call, what do you call the gun part of a tank, Peter? Uh, the, the barrel, gun, the, the the barrel, yeah, the barrel of the tank. I mean, it'd be like um, the breach is where he's putting the. But he puts the dagger in, and after some uh, back and forth, he shoots Kandar, saving the world. But Kandar falls on his tank, and you think maybe he's dead, especially because at least when I was watching it, or I guess when everyone was watching it, they knew it would have been the last episode ever. Um, all of a sudden, he wakes up. And he has the gray streak back in his hair. He's coming out of, like, this weird futuristic coffin. His hand has been actually fully 
replaced. And as he walks out, he meets a cyborg and says, come this way. They go to the Delta. The Delta is like Mad Max futurified. It's rad. They, yeah, it's awesome. They open the garage and it seems a desolate, like Detroit. Um, and he goes, we lost. I guess Brandy and Kelly and Pablo are dead. And he, she goes, no, they're not. But we need to go stop the world if it's going to continue to su- succumb to the demons. And he's like, fuck yeah, and gets in the car. And they drive off. And season four would have been future Mad Max apocalypse, according to Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. Which is a really great like change of pace for the show. I, like, like you said, Peter, I think I'm not as, uh, I'm not as big a fan of season three. I think it has some great stuff and suffers from a lot of the how do we get to the the back half of the season problems. I think it takes threats and instead of like changing them, it just kind of like is like, oh, OK, this clone we built up for seven episodes. It's shot in the head now. And Ruby, who's supposed to be the big bag, she's she's dead now. Like uh, the threats that it spends way too long building without actually any movement on the plot, it then just throws away to go somewhere else. And I think. That's that's kind of the really big problem with the season, but um, I do I I'm I'm more bummed than ever that the we don't get another one because they did I think kind of figure out that like okay Elk Grove we're out of ideas we don't want to go back to the cabin again let's actually take take Ash to that kind of apocalyptic future that we saw in the director's cut ending of army of darkness great idea um i would have really loved to see where it went from there but but i really love brandy great character oh i love her i don't want i don't want to make it seem like season 3 is um is not without its moments but man that first half it just uh it just really feels like there's two two full episodes peter of uh, Kelly and Brandy locked in a trailer while Pablo attacks them. And it's like, this is not that interesting. And then even Kelly dying again, it's like, yeah, you killed Pablo last season. Like, I, we know she's coming back. Like, it, it feels like they ran. The way that season three feels to me is they wrote a bunch, they shot a bunch, and then they're like, this all sucks. Let's throw it away. I got way better ideas. And then. And then kind of went into some really cool stuff from season seven or episode seven onward. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think it's it's about halfway through the season where it starts coming up with amazing set pieces. Um, yeah, I love Brandy. I think she's. A, I do too. Yeah, I think she's uh, like a, a really charming uh, addition to the show. They absolutely refuse to make her. Just like a um, an escort mission for the rest of the crew, like yeah, she she gets mad at Ash for a little bit because he's being a creep and a weirdo and a shitty dad, and he's abandoned her and her mother. Um, and then he she uh, eventually uh, embraces that that like okay, he's my dad, warts and all. Let's fix him. Let's figure out what we got to do with this with this fucking, this fucking weirdo, this degenerate. Yeah. Um, and then she gets to go through her own little Evil Dead arc, which is kind of fun. Like, in one of the last episodes, she has a whole sequence where she's being, like, pursued and, like, her iPhone yep. turns into a demon. Like, there's a whole... Yeah. There's, a, there's a whole sequence where she gets to have her own little, like, mini Evil Dead moment as the world is turning into a hellscape. Um, the scale of this season is blown up in a way that, like, the show had not done before. 
Or the in the back half, I I do feel like they almost like had to save their budget for the back half. Yes, yes, and they they spend a lot of time getting there, but there's still good moments in the front half of the season, like uh, Brandy's friend. Uh, there's a great fight with Brandy's friend in the music room, where oh yeah, Ash eventually kills her with like a harp. Um, yeah, and I mean we talked about I think it's episode four the. Um, where it's a whole episode where Ash fights a baby clone of himself that, like, goes back into the surrogate mom's uh, vagina. And then because the head's off, too, keeps popping out the head. And, like, there's – there's it's not, like, a complete waste of time or terrible. It just is, like – you know how we talked about it's, it's usually easier for a season two to be better than a season one because the characters are established. You don't have to set up the world and you can just start start going with everything that you've uh, – you've already set the table. Now it's time to serve the meal. Sometimes in a season three or a season following a great season, they uh, they try to repeat too much of it. And I do feel like the first half of the season is like, okay, well, we, we did really well with Ash being an outcast – um, and being Ashley slashy and no one trusting him. Uh, what if we do that whole thing again with his daughter, but it makes way less sense because ostensibly his daughter was there as part of everything that happened in the last season. Like, it's like trying to, to repeat those highs again. And that's where, um, to kind of circle back to what we're talking about at the very beginning with X-Files, that's where it sometimes gets a little bit frustrating as a viewer. Like, hey, Scully, you've seen Aliens five times. Like, how many times can you talk yourself out of the fact that these aren't aliens? And here it's like, okay, we already did the Ashy Slashy uh, redemption arc. We don't need to do it again. Like, there's there's more interesting ways to to handle it. And I also thought, like, Ruby being there for two years as a guidance counselor was... That was dumb. Was, Very was dumb. dumb. And, and I think the show, like... To the show's amazing credit, I do feel like the show realizes in the back half that everything it's set up sucks, and it basically kills Ruby, kills Ash's clone, and uh, and then does something completely different for the last four episodes. Which, good. I'm glad the show realized it wasn't on the most fulfilling tracks. Uh yeah yeah I I can't I can't really disagree with you there though I think um that this is the most um it's the, the 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 latter half of the season is when I'm most satisfied like I love the new blood of Brandy Kelly yep. is like full on badass and she even has like this the, the Knights of Sumeria arc is pretty great the reason I love yep. the Knights of Sumeria arc partially is because it's a big old fucking dud. Like, yeah, <laughs> I love the fact that the show is consciously being like, yeah, there's this there's this whole culty crew that's there just to to help you out, Ash. We're here to help. And then the moment that uh, they actually are like willing to go throw their body in the in, in the pressure, um, <laughs> yeah. they face the coolest demon in the whole history of the show that like conglomerate demon. Oh, yeah. Where it just, no, that, it just that keeps morphing. So Whoever good. it grabs, it just keeps pushing that demon into the next one. It, it looked expensive as shit to do. Like that that is that is Resident Evil monster all over it's it. Like so it just good. A, I called it the sludge hand puppet monster. Yeah, that it just that'll keeps work grabbing just fine. people and absorbing. The, yeah, yeah, that'll work just fine. It just turns. It's 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 a part blob, part the thing. It, it's part Resident Evil. Like it 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 basically just grabs grabs bodies, conglomerates them together. It's scary as shit. 
it literally was like the guy was in the portal for like seconds and then he comes back uh horrifically horrifically possessed um and then the the lead knights of Sumer- knight of sumeria she uh ends up um getting just basically murdered so that uh ruby and a and a um a fake version of uh kelly can um can coat the blood the coat her blood with the walls like she's basically just a blood bag um like i i kind of love as much as it's 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 you know it it feels like frustrating to introduce all these characters and then immediately murder them like that is that is that's evil dead like that is evil evil dead which is why i think they like because they essentially kill Pablo in season two and bring him back and kill Pablo and Kel- or, uh, kill Kelly in season three and bring her back. Well, and Brandy, I guess, in season three. And I, I think in some ways it does speak to a overall issue that translating this into an ensemble series has. And I think the show does pretty good with it. But part of the Evil Dead series, Peter, is that everyone but Ash dies. And so we don't need to get to know him that well. And they're going to die, which makes sense, right? Because this is a guy with a shotgun in one arm and a chainsaw in the other, and everyone dies in explosive. The idea that he's able to protect two or three people long term, which which the character in the show keeps saying is probably not going to happen for that much longer because everyone he's ever known dies die, or everyone he's ever known dies in horrible ways. Um, the The challenge for an ensemble show is like, okay, well, now – three to four people need to survive these horrific, murderous, explosive, gory encounters. And so, obviously, in a a series where literally uh, demon resurrection and resurrection is a huge part of it, I get that it's like, well, I guess we can kill them and just bring them back. But you could see where, like, that trick already ran a little bit foul in season three, at least from my perspective. It's like, oh, now Kelly's dead. Like, um, you can't keep going to that well, even though I understand the motivation because you want Ash to be affected as a character by deaths, but also, like, you don't want to kill the cast of your show. Yeah. Uh, because the cast is why it works. So. Like, Kelly and Pablo are necessary balance to this more more extreme version of Ash. Yeah. Um, well, just because, like, it actually works really well because... Um, you, you can't, I don't, I don't think the show would work for Ash for five hours. Yeah. I also think bringing Ruby back again and again and again and going back to that well feels very much like a a 90s TV thing. Like even, I, I, well, just, yeah, Lucy Lawless is in the cast. We have to have her in the cast. It feels like, it feels like a Buffy thing where they're like, well, of course, Angel's ex-girlfriend has to keep coming back. Was it Delilah or whatever? Like they kept bringing her ass back over and over again. It doesn't matter if she does. Like that feels like a Buffy or a Xena or a, a Hercules era decision um, where they're just like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously my wife is going to stay on the show. Yeah, they just they spend, and I'm not and complaining. They... Lucy Lawless is great. I'm just saying that eventually the character remaining as an integral part of the show just gets frustrating. So you're like, it's Evil Dead. They can do whatever they want. Things can get as crazy as they want. Okay, they're, st- they're still wrestling with Ruby, huh? <laughs> well, and also, yeah, they just um, – whether it was they wanted to save their budget for the end or stuff like that, they 
They spend so much time with Ruby getting pregnant, having the baby, raising the toddler, growing it into adult. And then it's like, here it is. Oh, it got shot in the head immediately, which is theoretically could be good if played for laughs. It's not really. It feels like um, it, it just feels like they didn't know what to do with him. Like, oh, can he survive a headshot? I don't know. I guess he's dead now. But like. That also makes you realize, like, man, I spent four hours watching every portion of this kid's inception and birth and raise, like, and and he's supposed to be the the big thing of this season, and like, and now 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 he's dead, and then Ruby's dead in the next episode. Kelly's not like it. It um, again. I'm glad they pivoted, but it definitely feels like a. You know, a, a junior slump where it's like, how do we get back that energy? Let's just kind of do it all again. Oh, shit. It's not working. Uh, which actually, like I said, like to get, actually get back to really what we started, even though this season ends amazingly and I would love to see a season four, I do get how someone like the the ratings on this season specifically, Peter, Went from, you know, 750,000 to, I think, um, by, like, mid-season was at, like, 158,000. Like, that's really bad. That's brutal. Even but in, I, even I, I see it. Parlance. Yeah. Well, when, you're, when, you're, um, when your fifth episode is 20% of the ratings of your first episode, like, I get it. And I, and I also get it watching it because it – season two, I plowed through – and the and season three, I it wasn't until I got to see episode seven that I'm like, oh fuck, okay, we're back, baby. But that's still like in in weekly episodic television terms, six weeks is a long time. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 brutal. Which is crazy because if they had stuck it out, they would have uh, had a pretty satisfying finale. Oh. But- you Agreed. know, if they, if they cut the season down to six episodes and it condensed some of the early stuff, like, maybe that wouldn't have been a problem. I don't know. Yeah, I, which is why, I mean, uh, yeah, the season ends great. The special effects on Kandar are amazing for, like, a fucking low-budget star show. Uh, yeah, and, and, and the, blowing up the scale, I think, is my favorite thing. Let's, let's talk about yeah. the finale of the show, the last few episodes. Yeah. So, um... I uh, really quickly I love the limbo sequence so they end up in this like limbo sequence for a little bit and it's sort of like a a place between them and hell and it's sort of like this Silent Hill version of Elk Grove and it's a nice way to reuse the set and it has a really cool demon I don't dislike it but like it came out a couple years after Stranger Things It, it does it's way scarier it's, though than anything in Stranger Things, like the, the because the, the the Evil Dead universe has established that like hell is a terrible and real place, and like this is basically like a limbo place where you're basically just living in fear, but you're like, I think the next level down is worse, so let's stay. Yeah, here. like that idea is really like I, I maybe it's because I grew up Catholic, but like the fear of hell has never been beaten out of me. And no. particularly this idea that there might be like a sub hell that you get to hang out in for a little bit and it's really fucking awful, but maybe better than actual hell. So like maybe hang on here as long as you can. Like that idea scares the shit out of me. And this demon. The yeah. And they, and demon they only rules. do it for one episode. And you're right. It's scary. It's good. I just can't help but watch it. 
And it's actually in a part the part of the season I love. So, well, like Stranger I, Things I, didn't I, invent literally anything about its own lore. So, like, no, I know, but it, it, like, how can you not watch that and go, oh, they wanted, like, this is a show that is consistently pulled from other things that are just television show things. Yeah, it, it does feel like let's let's get in on some of that Stranger Things stuff. Which, um, I mean, they do it well. They do it. They do it shortly. They make an interesting thing with the demon. It's scarier. You're right. It, and a bunch of people die brutally, which is a little different than Stranger Things. But it does feel like um, a little bit like Upside Down's big with the kiddos. Kids, they love the Upside Down. They Can't love the Upside Down. Um, but yeah, so the actual finale. Um, I love. I love Ash's reaction to the to Kondar. Is, oh yeah, is he goes. That so thing good. is bullshit, man. <laughs> 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 like to him, he's like, yeah, I'll shoot deadites all day. I'll shoot demons, like whatever. Like yeah, I guess I'll use this Kandarian dagger too. I, I'd really prefer to use my chainsaw, but whatever. Like that thing is bullshit, man. Like that reaction is is so fucking Ash, and him absolutely rejecting the call to action in the like the basically the last episode and needing to get roused up is like. Essentially, the show giving dramatic closure to who Ash Williams is. Um, Agreed. Yeah, it's it's, it's like, so hey, good. you like you know this was all bullshit bravado. I am like a hurt person who's at like you know. Even though I keep saying everyone close to me dies, you know that everyone close to me dies, right? Like that has had an impact. Um, and now I have people I care about again, like not just Kelly and Pablo, but Brandy. And now there's a fucking 20 story demonic, uh, you know, creature out there that the military's jets can't stop. Like, fuck this. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, if, if uh, the, the military uh, threatening to drop a nuke on it can't stop it. Like, what is my boomstick and my chainsaw going to do? Right. Like, yeah. Why would I also he's seen like multiple, uh, you know, heroes uh, just get run through the thresher recently. Like Pablo yeah. died. All those military guys died. Like all these, uh, all these Knights of Samaria died. Like people got ran through the fucking ringer. Um, and uh, obviously Pablo was resurrected. Um, just to, to clarify while we're running through plot stuff. But uh, I, I love the idea of him going back to the house, getting super loaded just to get like some sort of liquid courage to go and do the job. He, yelling at Brandy about how uh, weed is a gateway drug after taking a huge <laughs> bong hit. <laughs> and then like yeah. that's how he's that's essentially how he says goodbye to his his, his daughter. Um, and and, and, and the, the, I feel OK, so. The scale of it is huge. It's amazing. I, I really actually feel like, you know, this is Ash women's like this is the moment that the, the whole series was leading up to. Right. Like Ash actually yeah. having to take on a globe threatening moment that actually is visible to everybody. Like the world is following whatever is going on in Elk Grove. Um, as well, it's happening everywhere. It's too. happening like, everywhere. All, but yeah. like deadites are coming out and ripping bars apart. And yes. that's good. So I actually feel like. Closure, closure would be wrong for this series. This is a series that has been built on from the very beginning. The idea that this evil is just never going to stop. Yeah. And you're just lucky enough to to maybe come out on top today. Well, and I said it, I think, early on, too. Like, it's a Russian nesting doll that, like, as you feel like 
the 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 real fun of the Evil Dead and Deadites. Evil Dead 2 exemplifies it perfectly, right? Like, they keep being like, okay, we burned the book. Oh, fuck, there's a giant monster now. Fuck, there's a portal? Like, it's it's a never-ending series of, like, more shit that the evil can unleash because it's, you know, it's the concept of evil uh, demonified. This reminds me, actually, of the Phantasm series as well. Where each series, oh, yeah. every series ends with like one more cliffhanger, one more cliffhanger, one more cliffhanger. And like the idea is that 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 road, that fight against evil, it never stops. So like, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are, how, how bad your back is, like gas up your car, get your shotgun ready. Like, let's fucking go like that. That kind of um, that that's the way the Phantasm series works. That's the way I envision the Evil Dead series working. Like evil's going to keep changing the rules. It's going to keep shaking you up. It's going to keep trying to break you down. But like you have to push forward. And like that that uh, sort of vision of what Ash Williams is is like not a guy that's looking for like you know uh, green valleys and like you know the end of all this evil. It's it's a guy who's just like fuck again. Like more of this bullshit. Like uh, that that vision of Ash is perfect for me. I I don't see a vision of Ash. even even Ash in, in like a fairly uh, you know winter scenario at the end of Army of Darkness still occasionally has to load up a shotgun and fight Deadites in 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 Smart right. Yeah, and it's worth r- reminding everyone that like Sam Raimi's vision of the ending, even if I prefer the theatrical cut, is that Ash wakes up in the apocalypse um, with everything destroyed. So uh, from army of darkness from army of darkness. Yes. Yeah. It's, this is essentially lift. Yeah, yes. That's a, that I don't know how we haven't talked about that yet. This is essentially lifting that ending the original ending from army of darkness, though the original army of darkness ending was way more like, Oh no, this ending is like, yeah, gung-ho. like this is like, let's yeah. fucking go. Like there's, there's actually still evil to to fight yeah so i agree like as it, I, it, those felt like final thoughts i'll kind of say mine like that's it yeah those are the final i was thoughts. i was worried i was worried that the ending of this was going to be that ash dies because that doesn't feel right it feels like um he's not ash that lucky and, he's not that lucky and that ash and the deadites are basically like um is sisyphus and the rock no, it's Prome- Prometheus and um, his guts keep getting birds keep eating his guts and they yeah. keep getting uh, re uh, <laughs> regrown. Yeah. Can you can anyone tell that we didn't neither of us uh, majored in classics? No, no. All, <laughs> all of our references is from other horror movies that pull from it. Uh, oh, yeah, that guy. I, I disemboweled him in God of War. <laughs> You know what's really sad is the actual thing like I'm mentally thinking of is there's a, a real Ghostbusters episode um, that I still remember from a, from being a child where these two gods who are both omnipotent and like immortal um, are, are locked in eternal battle and some and neither of them can be hurt or killed. So they just literally spend eternity like beating the shit out of each other and some – um, and sometimes the way they like handle their strife is they basically possess mortals to be on their side. So they like can go like, oh, my guy killed your guy. Um, 
which doesn't ultimately matter, but it's like one way for them to get a minor victory because ultimately they're going to be locked in a never-ending eternal battle with each other. So that that is the way that that real Ghostbusters episode. Uh, real Ghostbusters rules, by the way. We should we should figure out a way to cover that at some point. Uh, but uh, that that's actually what what Ash and the Evil Dead or the Deadites remind me of is uh, that like yeah he's not going to get out that easily. And I was glad that the cliffhanger to a season that never got produced wasn't that he died and how is he going to come back now? Instead, they do. Some I don't know how I didn't know that this was the ending for two years too, and I'm I'm glad it really was a surprise because it really was. I was like, holy fucking shit! But then I was also angry because I'm like, I want to see. Like I was, I was, I was again. Season three was a little bit of a mixed bag. I liked where it ended up. I was kind of fine being done with it, and I was a little annoyed that it's like, fuck, you pulled me back in so that I want to start a. Uh, two years late letter writing campaign to figure out where where is every where's Brandy where's Kelly where's Pablo what happened <laughs> um, so whether but but I agree with you Peter like whether we ever get that or not it's also completely fine to leave it as oh shit he didn't stop it he literally there's a worldwide apocalypse Kandor came the guy from the Buck he's a giant Cthulhu kaiju sized demon. And Ash defeated him with the dagger. And, oh, but it's still not over. And that that is the perfect, ultimately, Evil Dead ending. No matter what would have came from this, um, if it was going to be a good Evil Dead ending, it would have ended with some version of, ah, fuck, it's still not over. Um, And, yeah, I mean, it's a great way to end the month, I think. Like, this is a lot of fun. A like watching the two seasons I never I never had before, rewatching the first season. Uh, you know I I uh, if this is all we get, I say all we get. We got like twenty hours of Evil Dead, but um, if this is if this is where it all ends and there's not another another version of Evil Dead till like twenty years in the future and my kids are seeing it in college, like I I'm pretty satisfied that like. Uh, what we got ranges from like the best shit of all time to uh, pretty good shit. I am very glad that this is part of the me- messy, uh, <laughs> you know, try as hard as you can to get it done um, mythos of uh, Evil Dead. I'm glad that this is the way that like that they got to say goodbye to Ash Williams, but in a way that like we'll never we'll never be able to say goodbye to Ash Williams. Um, yeah, that you can st- we still have these dumb the, the dumb comic books and games and other shit that like you know follows the story, but like you know br- we're really saying goodbye to Bruce Campbell and the character, right? And it would I mean after twenty some years, it would have been really weird if we never got a Evil Dead Four or equivalent. It just was like. It was the thing like that hadn't come to fruition yet. Like, right? We had got a we got Mad Max Fury Road. What? We've got the Ridley Scott Alien prequel. <laughs> like all these things that were just like basically part of the first time I went into like Cinescape.com in nineteen ninety-nine. We got a lot of it. We and got some- fucking five diehards. 
I know. We got more. I mean, there's almost nothing we didn't get. Like, if there was a show you wanted back or a movie you wanted a sequel to or a re- like want more entries in this, we got it. it something so many that of like monkeys paws, mind you. Yeah, most but, of but, them. But at least like, you know, a lot of original creators or just the franchise itself got another at bat. Yeah, and so for something like this that, like, literally everyone involved was like, we're gonna do it. Everyone wants to do it for 20 years. Um, I'm glad we got it, and it wasn't a monkey's paw. Um, it was it was definitely worthwhile. Uh, definitely, like, you know, not perfect. Not in the way that Evil Dead 2 is perfect. But I think something that is like the best that you could ever ask for being a 25 year delayed follow up to the sequel to a perfect movie. <laughs> so yeah, let's end it there. Peter, we're taking a turn. No more no more horror. We're we're done with Evil Dead for now and we're going to we're going to spend November like we like we always do talking about not horror specifically and this time we've we've decided to go to uh, a, a a kind of a new well well an old well an old favorite well besides horror which is disney movies from the 80s and 90s but this time with a specific track we're trying to follow which is when disney tried to make live action action adventure movies sometimes to a lot of success and or critical acclaim and sometimes to um such a such a bad extent that they ended up having to buy star wars and marvel to make live action worthwhile um yeah, so we're starting uh, next week with uh, kind of the one that revitalized their action-adventure uh, live-action uh, movie-making, uh, at least from a box office and audience perspective, which was uh, 1989's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. We're following up that with another Joe Johnston movie, the critically beloved, the one that I think a lot of people come back to and say is the best uh, live-action movie that Disney made in the 90s, and that is The Rocketeer. Uh, and then we're going into where it takes a little bit of a weird turn and some dips, and uh, we're doing uh, 1994's uh, Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Charlie Sheen, starring uh, The Three Musketeers. Uh, we're joined by Rick Kelly, which is a perfect guest to join us for that one, because uh, he did uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with us back in 2016, uh, also in, in a November uh, and that Three Musketeers is very much a movie that is trying to repeat the success of that, including a number one hit song by Brian Adams. And then we're wrapping up the month where things really take a weird turn with a tall tale uh, about all of your favorite American folk heroes and their attempts to stop a railroad. Uh, and we are going to be joined by uh, other November friend of the show who was on last year for the in this same slot, Peter, for Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, writer at um, Bright Walls Dark Room, Ethan Warren. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be sort of a palate cleanser before the horrors of what we're going to do in December. Uh, oh, perhaps the spookiest month of the year. I think so. I think December. Now, you may be thinking, oh, they're doing Christmas horror again. Nope. Nope. But in a different way. Yep. Yep. 
Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. But anyways, this episode's already gone on too long. Uh, may, may, uh, I hope all of you have a, uh, spooky Halloween. God knows you don't have to try that hard this year, considering there's a global pandemic and we're a week away from an election. Yeah. Uh, and we're, but, we're also waging a war on Christmas. So, uh, I just hope you have a, uh, spooky Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving belongs to October now. <laughs> Uh, all holidays belong to the spooks. Good night. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches peter and aaron <laughs>